0: Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all oh, its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, aka Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the FISA blog and author of A Special Relationship Trump Epstein and the Secret History of the Anglo American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, that's all one word, .blogspot.com. And procure a copy of that book and my other works at the farm's official store, which is at the thefarmpodcast.store. That is the farm podcast. all one word, .store. And please consider signing up for the farm's Patron. You get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive gifts and content. All right, we've got two gifts with me for this sounding, one the ultimate repeater, the other a newbie. As to the latter, he's a bit of a jack of all trades, for our purposes here, he's coming to us uh, for his expertise in cryptocurrencies. Folks, I give you guys Clay Vandevar. Clay, thank you so much for dropping by tonight, sir.
1: Oh, thanks, Recluse. It's, uh, it's a true honor, and uh, we've talked about doing it for a long time. So I'm honored to be uh, uh, on the shoulders of giants on the show with you guys.
0: <laughs> well thank you very much sir and uh for those of you at home uh this is uh samuel corwin's brother we've had sam on here uh twice already one on a subscriber show with edmund berger and another time uh, discussing his band corwin trails so a uh, bit of a family affair with these guys all right also joining us here is my favorite repeater mr john brisson if we've read the documents john thank you so much for joining us again tonight sir
2: I'm glad to be here as always recluse it's a pleasure to be here with clay, Uh, this is one of my favorite topics, and uh, you know I hope you guys are not sick of me of hearing me on the farm, uh, because I really love being here, so it's it's a good time
0: yeah we love having you here john and uh yeah this is definitely a really topical one here hopefully as uh, we might uh, be going into another bull market by the time this show comes out so yes on that note this show revolves around the mysteries of cryptocurrencies we've already discussed this a bit on the farm in recent months and it's certainly been making headlines of late but today, we are taking a deep dive into crypto. We're going to explore some of the key concepts, its revolutionary potential, current events related to it, and the future of the global financial system. No short order that. All right. In other words, I think you, we've got the right people with me to help navigate these uncertain waters. So let us start the voyage here. All right, first off, Clay, let's get into your origin stories theory of Bitcoin. I know John is already going through this, uh, in a couple of venues, including the farm, but let's hear your take on it for the kids at home.
1: Uh, sure, yeah. So, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, the most suspicious thing about the origin of Bitcoin is the fact that it was allowed to exist. Um, now, I understand that it's decentralized and it would have been hard to shut down uh, at the, you know, once it, it, it gained mainstream attention, but it could have been shut down right away in that it could have been outlawed in the U.S. and outlawed in Europe, and that alone would have prevented it from succeeding. Um, so there's that, of course. Um, and you know that kept a lot of people from investing in bitcoin for a long time and rightfully so because it was essentially a currency that was created out of thin air however valid it is and however anti-inflationary it is so you know the interesting thing about bitcoin is nobody knows who satoshi nakamoto is um and just to get in the history of that, you know, it came out of um, the cypherpunk movement with people like Hal Finney and others who had kind of fantasized about a currency like this and involved proof of work and complex ciphers uh, that we know as mining. Um, there were a couple of digital cash technologies uh, that were that were predecessors to Bitcoin starting with uh, eCash, uh, which was the protocols of David Chom and Stefan Brands. Um, and you know this this just followed the idea that solutions to computational puzzles could have some value, uh, i.e., mining. Um, and uh, that idea was pioneered by Cynthia Dwork and Moni Nayor in 1992, and it was independently rediscovered by Adam Back, who developed Hashcash, a proof of work scheme for for uh, spam control in 1997. Um, the first proposal for di- distributed digital scarcity-based cryptocurrencies was Wei Dai's B-Money and Nick Szabo's BitGold. Um, Hal Finney, uh, who we'll get into in a second, uh, developed reusable proof-of-work using Hashcash as its proof-of-work algorithm. So those are kind of the key people at the outset of it. Um, to me, the most important person here is Hal Finney um, for a number of reasons. Uh, I think if I, if you were, if you were to ask me who Satoshi Nakamoto is, I think it was a team of five to 10, uh, 200 IQ, super programmers like Hal Finney. Um, I do think Elon Musk was probably involved. Uh, I think Peter Thiel probably financed it. Um, and you had some of the coders from PayPal maybe involved with it. Um, But I think Hal Finney was was the the brain trust behind it. Uh, I don't think there's, in my mind, there's any question about that. And also, I don't think that Elon Musk or any of the other people had his skills as a cryptographer. Um, Obviously, all those guys are amazing coders. Uh, Elon Musk is an incredible coder. I mean, uh, it's argued that he was the brains behind the uh, the structure of the code for PayPal. And I think that's probably true as, as much as I don't like him, and we can get into Elon Musk later, I can't argue his genius. Um, he's no question a 200 IQ guy as well. Um, so I think that Peter Thiel financed the operation. Out, Al- Hal Finney and uh, uh, Elon Musk and a few others maybe uh, probably, uh, I don't think Wade Dye was involved, but I think Adam Back might've been involved as well. Um, you know, uh, David Chom and Stefan Brands could be involved as well There's rumors that Gavin Andreessen was involved, but I do think the two people that I definitively think were at the table were Elon Musk and Hal Finney. So Bitcoin began in 2008, right after the housing collapse. And I, I, I don't find that to be coincident, you know, I find that to be too coincidental for comfort. Um, And the question is, why was Bitcoin created? Um, Was it created as a decentralized ledger for trustless transactions that we know it to to be today, to be a safeguard against uh, inflation pushed by the Fed? And yeah, that um, that would be what we would all want it to be. But I don't think that's the case. I think it was created in 2008 by either the CIA or the NSA to create a vacuum a currency vacuum and uh, what I mean by that is to create a another artificial means of currency distribution for the world so in it, my theory is that we're going to see what's called the great cash flush where the Fed is going to invest into Bitcoin all central banks are going to invest in Bitcoin in multiple central currencies because that is the only trick they have left in their bag. Um, fractional reserve lending is, it has reached its zenith point. Um, it has maybe, maybe five to seven years left uh, at its current state, maybe. And uh, we can get into that as well and some theories I have. But um, there is no question that with 2008, uh, they saw the writing on the wall. The derivatives market was out of control. It got into the quadrillions, and you know the bailouts were were very questionable. Um, in, in that, how much of the debt did it really bail out? You know, uh, how how much of the debt was in the off the grid economy versus the regular economy? And I think that's that's where Bitcoin really comes in. Is it's a it's a money vacuum not only for the Federal Reserve and, and the legitimate economy, but also the the off um, the grid economy, you know, st- uh, recluse, what you talked about, and, and John, you talked about like the Golden Eagle Trust, the Golden Lily Trust, the off the books gold of the, the Nazis and the Japanese and the drug trade, and I, I do think there's a separate banking system for that economy as well, and I think it actually feeds our, our economy um, and props it up. Uh, so. Um, that is my theory on why Bitcoin began. And it makes sense that it happened in 2008 and it happened in 2008 and it became kind of the people's currency, even though it didn't get a lot of traction. And it, you know, it followed, of course, or it was a precursor to the AstroTurf movement of, or what we all know to be AstroTurf now, Occupy Wall Street. So, um, it's important
0: there's... to emphasize too that Bitcoin was launched on 4chan. 4chan, yeah. is, you know, big yes. for a lot of this stuff. The uh, anonymous movement came out of 4chan. A lot of prominent alternate reality games, including Cicada 3301 and QAnon, have been heavily promoted on 4chan over the years. It's um, a significant cultural shaper.
1: Oh, oh, 100%. And 4chan was a mouthpiece, and it makes sense because. 4chan is seen as as kind of like the people's uh, um, forum, the people's message board. Uh, there's no censorship, at least it wasn't back then, and it, it was seen as kind of countercultural and revolutionary when it was. We all know it was anything but. Um, so uh, don't don't dad,
2: don't dash my hopes clay i've been going to 4chan since i was in a, graduated high school back in 2004 okay but yeah i i completely agree with you guys on all about 4chan uh yeah. i just remember when it happened when moot you know uh founded it back in 2003 and uh yeah i mean it sucks they used it. Maybe it was always that all along. Who knows? But it well, used to sorry. Be- no,
1: I. I don't want to say that it was controlled from day one, but it definitely was taken over. And then, you know, obviously, uh, <laughs> we all know how legitimate H Chan was with, you know, uh, Ron and 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 uh, Fred and and. Uh, yeah, H Chan
2: definitely was always <laughs> been a honeypot. Uh, um,
1: yeah. but yes,
2: I am an old user of 4chan. I hate to admit it, but I went there a oh, lot okay. when I was in college for a brief time at the University of Charlotte and when I was in high school.
1: So, All good, man. And certainly not trying to uh, take away your memories of yesteryear, man.
2: No, no, you're not. I, I, I know exactly what it was. I mean, I've talked about how the reason, one of the reasons why I voted for Trump looks as I got radicalized by the same psychographical and psychological warfare that was on 4chan back during 2015, 2016. I used to be there. And, uh, yeah, I saw it happen in real time. I saw the ops being run in real time.
1: Yep. Yep. And they're, they're still going today, man. So, um, yeah, so uh, just a brief history of Bitcoin. August 2008, the bitcoin.org domain was purchased. Uh, October 31st, 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto released his famous white paper, creates the idea of trustless interactions and puts in the zeitgeist of America. Uh, January 3rd, 2009, the network officially came into existence with Satoshi Nakamoto mining the genesis block of Bitcoin, block number zero, uh, historic moment. Huge moment, um, but this to me it says it all. Okay, January twelfth, two thousand nine, Hal Finney received the world's first Bitcoin transaction, ten bitcoins from Satoshi Nakamoto. So that to me, while it could have been organic and Hal Finney would have been watching something like this with a hot haw- like a hawk, I find that too coincidental that a mere. Uh, you know, a mere like, what, nine days later that happens. And let me clarify something. I want to be clear about this. I think that Hal Finney is a good person. And I think he did this with the noblest of intentions. I I do not think of Hal Finney as uh, working with these controllers or working with these organizations like Elon Musk is so willingly doing. Um, I, I think that Hal Finney went into this with the noblest intentions i want to i want to be clear about that and perhaps you guys disagree with me but I, I i do think he's a good person and he went
2: I, I have no proof otherwise of hal finney so yeah i have no proof do you have any proof otherwise for clues i don't have any
0: no i mean i've looked at this a lot too and i mean certainly as far as the cypherpunks go um hal finney seems to have been one of the most moderate of them i mean he was principally concerned with sound currency uh also privacy and currency and just privacy in general i mean he didn't hold some of the um the extreme views of someone like say uh, i think it was eric hughes perhaps who uh had some pretty uh hard libertarian perspectives on a lot of things but uh how was yeah he was not in that camp let's just leave it at that
1: yeah yeah he yeah he didn't seem to be uh Involved in any of that stuff, and you know, I do think he was operating out of the best intentions. Uh, perhaps we'll see otherwise. But
2: um, I mean, maybe. But I mean, again, you know, Finney was in the last years of his life before he died from ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. You know, he was f- getting, you know, um you know, ex, you know, exhortation demands for Bitcoin and threats and stuff like that, and everything. And then he dies. You know. He- he died of complications due to, to ALS. So he yeah. sold supposedly a lot of his Bitcoin to try, you know, because his medical expenses due to ALS. So, um, I mean, if anybody knows anything against Hal Finney, let me know. But out of all the whole group, if we're talking him against Teal or Musk, you know, he, he, he doesn't seem that, you know, compared to them, you know, he, she seemed like a guy who liked writing code.
0: Well, frankly, though, a lot of people compared to Peter Thiel would seem like OK people, though. So, I mean, that that's not really saying a lot, John, but I get what you're saying. Man. That is true.
2: Yes. Yes. But. um,
0: But um, but yeah, I mean, I dig what you're getting at here, Clay. And I mean, I can definitely see kind of a a hypothetical chain there and i mean you know to kind of go back to, to the the circumstances surrounding the creation of bitcoin again you had the 2007 financial crisis and I legitimately think that this was a major national cons- uh, security concern to the Pentagon and some of the 100. intelligence services. I mean, I do think 100. that uh, it was much more severe than the public was let on and had come very close to uh, causing serious damage to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think that you can discount the hypothetical possibility that um some elements uh, within the national security apparatus believed that uh, we needed an alternative to the uh, the current financial system that had nearly brought the nation to ruin. So uh, perhaps maybe they reached out to a private company like uh, Palantir, let's say. Um, maybe they <laughs> yeah. kind of on the side started to uh, work on something like that and gradually seeded it into the public through something like 4chan, hypothetically, yeah. of course.
1: Um. It, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, you know, th- there are some really suspicious things that happen um, uh, after so after Hal Finney's uh, transaction, which, you know, could have been noble from his end or whatever. This is where it gets really weird. August 6, 2010, there was a major flaw spot in Bitcoin's code. So for two years, almost, you did not see this flaw that was spotted in Bitcoin's code, okay? And before then, transactions weren't properly verified before they were included in the transactions log or the blockchains, uh, which let users bypass Bitcoin's economic restrictions and create an indefinite number of Bitcoins. So there was some hacker in in the reason why it was found on this date of August 6, 2010, is there was a hacker who created I think it was 143 billion Bitcoin and that's how it was spotted. But I want you to think about this. If these guys created the code and let's say the code was handed to Peter Thiel when it was finished by Finney and Musk and others. And then Thiel took the code to another group to put a backdoor Trojan horse into it, which this could have been. And it wasn't discovered until 2010, that's almost two whole, or sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me, that's a year and a half, but still a long time, still a long time, because Bitcoin didn't go live until January uh, 3rd, 2009. That's still a year and a half that they, the military or whoever created this would have had to create artificial Bitcoin and put it into cold storage. Okay. Just, I want you to think about that. And yes, they could, the The new code could have prevented that, but maybe not. And just think about that for a second. Okay. Um, so there's that. Okay. Um, and then my favorite, June 9th, 19th, 2011, the infamous Mt. Gox hack happens and it wipes out 850,000 Bitcoins, uh, which was valued at $450,000 at that time with only $200,000 in Bitcoin being recovered. So in 2011, the price of Bitcoin at the time of the hack was $9.57 per Bitcoin. So based on my calculations, that would be $20.15 billion of Bitcoin that is still not been recovered to this day. Um, So although 200,000 Bitcoins have since been found, the reason for the disappearance were initially unclear. New evidence presented in April 2015 by Tokyo security company WizSec led them to conclude that most or all of the missing Bitcoins were stolen straight out of the Mt. Gox cryptocurrency, hot cryptocurrency wallet over time, beginning in late 2011. So this could have been, this to me sounds like a Trojan horse as well, that was put into Mt. Gox, that was designed to, yes, it stole a lot up front, but it was gradually stealing off the top from that date after it was found and you know it was siphoned out of mount gox so the mount gox hack uh no question stunted the the adoption of bitcoin it made it, it reinforced all the stereotypes that bitcoin was illegal currency bitcoin's going to be shut down by the government bitcoin's uh so prone to hacking so it kept it off the grid to ordinary investors, right? And it's my theory that the Mt. Gox hack was an operation probably by the NSA or somebody else for that very reason, but also to siphon that money out uh, through the Trojan horse. And, you know, we'll get into my, to get into kind of who Jed McCaleb is, the founder of Mt. Gox. And look, I wanna be clear, you know, this is a hypothetical situation, you know, we're not here to convict anybody uh, without evidence, Um, but there are some very curious things about Mr. McCaleb. Um, So Jed McCaleb uh, went to Cal Berkeley, uh, got his degree in uh, computer engineering um, and he is the founder of Ripple and also the founder of Stellar Lumens, and if you know Stellar Lumens, it has a blatant ring of Saturn, um, you know, I, I, for lack of a better term, Illuminati logo on it. A
2: ro- rocket to the
1: moon, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Ripple and Stellar are two of the most rigged coins in that they're working with all the major banks. I mean, you can think of Stellar Lumens as essentially the, the Ripple for the de- developing world.
2: Clay, you know yeah. so much about crypto, man. I can't. Finally, somebody to talk to about this, like you're <laughs> knocking it out of park, man. Uh, I, everything, mostly everything I, you're saying is what I think. OK, so so do mean to interrupt you, but I got something to say oh, real quick. OK, so do oh, you please, see please,
1: have please.
2: you seen the QAnon community and how they just embrace XRP and they're like the XRP army and how they're pushing it? I you know, know the not. most new World order of all New World Order coins, right? Like, oh, they embrace Ripple.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that that tells you. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's really interesting. You know, we'll probably get into this a little bit later, mean, how alternate uh, commun alternative communities, quote unquote, have been used to promote a lot of the cryptos, uh, especially since 2015. Uh, But something else, you know, I'll point out about Ripple uh, while we're on this topic is that another one of the major investors in it was uh, Matthew Mellon who was a member of uh, the infamous uh, Mellon family of Pittsburgh. Uh, I mean, of course, if you've uh, read any of my blog or uh, any solid history sources, you know that the Mellon family has been at the center of American power uh, since at least the late 19th century. They have had numerous family members tied up in intelligence over the years. They've uh, backed all kinds of movements. Uh, It's especially interesting to note that uh, in terms of the abortion uh, issue, I mean, they've Funneled tons of money into both sides of the debate. Uh, Planned Parenthood on the one hand, and then on the other hand, Richard Mellon Scaife has, uh, you know, did so much to promote the, uh, you know, anti-abortion movement. So this is an extremely politically connected family. Uh, Matthew's brother is Christopher Mellon, uh, who was a Senate staffer uh, specializing in intelligence for many years. Uh, he was close to the Rockefeller family. Uh, he was a democ—he is a Democrat, whereas uh, Matthew was a Republican. Uh, but Christopher Mellon is also tied up in the whole thing with Two of the Stars Academy, uh, you know, the UFO disclosure racket. And it's also interesting because crypto has also been pushed a lot uh, in the UFO circles since 2015 as well. So there's a lot of odd things with that, but uh, especially with Matthew Mellon, you know, he's from a very politically connected uh, family. Uh, his uncle as well, uh, I believe Jay Mellon, if I remember correctly, but that's uh, another interesting character. He raised uh, Christopher, and uh, this particular uncle has uh, been in various uh, schemes of tax evasion uh, and avoided charges with the U.S. or been trying to avoid charges from the U.S. government for a number of years. So um, there's a lot of Interesting things about this uh, wing of the family, and the fact that Matthew is right there in crypto uh, prior to his uh, mysterious death, and I think it was twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Uh, well, it's it's very interesting, and it's uh, another indication of the uh, kind of power that's been backing Ripple and uh, the curious methods that they've used to uh, spread it. So, anyway, Clay, one pass.
2: And it. and to circle back to our previous show uh recluse founders fund peter teal invested hay- heavily in the beginning of ripple
0: yeah teal was another guy who was heavily involved in it too so i mean it's you know it's just incredible the amount of power that's going into ripple which is probably why you see um the q movement pushing this uh so much why they're uh you know in the process of uh stopping the adrenochrome drinking baby killers so
1: I thought I knew everything about Q, but I did not know they were pushing the XRP army. If you are not already suspicious of QAnon out there, if you're listening, uh, that should make you more suspicious than a lot of other things.
2: Oh, very much so, Clay, because if you go on Twitter and you look who's doing the hashtag, there's actually I can show you. That they Please. made a graph, uh, like a Pepe meme graph of like the different Q, like different you know Q and honors have been on 8 chan or, or four chan, and one of them literally is the XRP Pepe. Oh my
1: God!
2: XRP Army brother, I mean all the banks are going to use XRP. It is their coin. Oh. Okay, so yeah, I mean our guys right i mean and, really you know and here.
0: i gotta you know again i know that this kind of stuff seems you know somewhat ridiculous to uh quote unquote normal people i mean the whole notion that something like 4chan could be used by a cryptocurrency to promote it uh and then via something like q but i mean The degree of cultural influence that a place like 4chan has, again, really cannot be underestimated. And if you don't think that it could create a significant movement, then just look at the freaking Anonymous Collective, if you uh, think otherwise. So yeah you can definitely do some stuff on a board like that and then you get uh, on top of that i mean some kind of alternate reality game like q going uh that's also playing into this stuff i mean you can do a lot to promote this kind of stuff through these means which is again why uh so much of the entertainment industry uses args now to promote so many tv shows and movies and video games uh you know, these are the types of methods that Hollywood uh, uses to promote this kind of stuff. And I mean, it's being applied to things like cryptocurrencies in a very, uh, you know, Machiavellian fashion, quite frankly.
1: Uh, uh, 100%. Recluse, are we uh, are we allowed to curse on the show? Yeah, trip? go for it, bro. Okay. I, I just want to say something. And uh, I think we are all in agreement. And uh, you, you guys were essentially saying as much, fuck those Mellon brothers, man. Fuck them, all right? They're scum and they're dirt bags, and yep. the fact that they're here infiltrating these communities for devilish means, and I don't use that word lightly. Um, they're scum, man. Fuck them.
0: And I mean, this isn't a new thing either. I mean, you know, you've got obviously the uh, great William Mellon Hitchcock, Mr. Billy, who was so instrumental in, uh, you know, uh, establishing LSD as a major counterculture fixation, going back to his uh, sponsorship of Timothy Leary uh, through his uh, time serving as the banker for the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, which was uh, the largest LSD syndicate in the world by the end of the 60s. And then uh, you've got good old Richard Mellon Scafee. the man who uh, helped finance a lot of the modern conservative movement. So, you know, these guys, they play both sides uh, and they do a lot of uh, astroturfing. Uh, this family is very good at it.
2: Yeah. And one last thing, and I'll give it back to Clay, is, is um, two things. One, I should have said this last podcast, too. Nothing we're giving out is not financial advice. You know, we're not financial advisors. Do your own research or whatever. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is Clay and I both lean right in our beliefs. And I believe it's one of our jobs. And I think Clay would agree with me on this, that we have to hold the feet to the fire, the people on the right, like Peter Thiel and it, that claim that they're for us when they're anything but And the same with the Mellon family too, as well.
1: Uh, 100% John. And thank you so much for bringing that point up because Um, Peter Thiel is, I I would argue, he's uh, uh, somebody without beliefs. He claims to be conservative, claims to be Republican or right wing, but he's all but one thing, control. And he is polluting the things that we believe in, hold dear in all of his actions. And uh, there's nothing about him that is redeeming at, at all. And uh, thank you for saying that. I, I really appreciate that. Um, you
2: thank you for not being afraid to speak out against people. There's many people that like to play "rob, rob, go team," and I don't, yeah. I don't like that. So
1: no, not at all, man. This is too important. This information is vital that we get out to the public. So thank you, my friend. Um, so yeah, let's get back into Jed McCaleb, Okay, um, went to Berkeley. Uh, could have. Easily been recruited by the CIA, like I believe that Sergey Brin and Larry Page were. I don't believe that Google is organic at all. Uh, nothing about Google is organic. Um, Eric Schmidt is 100% a CIA agent. Everybody who has looked into that knows that. Um, anyway, I don't want to get on a Google tangent here, but Jed McCaleb. Okay, so he founded Mount Gox as a trading site for magic, the gathering, uh, um, uh, trading cards in 2010. Okay. So a year before the hack or a year, maybe three months, I, I I'm sorry, I don't know the specific date. I, I will get that. He founds Mount Gox as a Magic the Gathering trading card site, which does, which is okay, great. Like, that's cool that he did that for people that are into Magic the Gathering. But I don't think that's why he did that. Because, yes, less than a year, just one year before the hack, he started it. And then it was repurchased to be a Bitcoin exchange within the same year. Okay? So... And McCaleb sold Mt. Gox to Mark Capellas, the infamous guy who owned Mt. Gox when it got hacked, in February of 2011, just five months before the hack, okay? Now, here's the other kicker, is that Jed McCaleb remained a minority owner until it's collapse in 2014, okay? So if Jed McCaleb was a minority owner, he would have been privileged to (laughs) everything internal that was going on. He would have been kept abreast of all new developments, any new coding updates, anything like that. And if he were involved with the Trojan horse, hack, which we don't know, and we're not going to convict people without you know fair trial. Um, I cannot think of a more perfect scenario than this. Mt. Gox started as a Magic the Gathering trading site to confuse people and keep them off his trail. He, in the dead of night, while he's running this quote-unquote trading card site, he turns it into a Bitcoin exchange. And then... He sells it to one of the biggest saps I've ever seen, Mark Capellas. I mean, you look up sap or, or sucker in the dictionary and this guy is it, man. And, you know, it's almost like these guys got a kick out of it, right? And then he sells it to Mark Capellas in February of 2011, just five months before the hack. Okay, I want, I, I'm going to keep saying that. And then he remained a minority owner until its collapse in 2014. So it has all the hallmarks of an illegitimate sale of, of, of having access to a company and overseeing some kind of operation, of not being a legitimate exchange for Bitcoin in the first place, because it started out as a Magic the Gathering site, and only existed for about seven, eight months as that, and then became a Bitcoin exchange, and then sold like five, like a few, like six months later. And then five months after that, the hack happened. So there's nothing about Mt. Gox to me that adds up on the surface. Now, whether Jed McCaleb was involved, I, I can't say for sure. But we do know that he was the founder of Ripple, and now he's Mr. Stellar Lumens. And he donates the OpenAI Fund. And uh, there's some other, and I'll find it. Give me a second. But he donates the OpenAI Fund and some other uh, transhumanist charities. The so Machine
2: Jed, Intelligence Research Institute.
1: Yeah, yes, that is it. That is it. Uh, Jed McCaleb is a massive transhumanist in disguise. Yes,
2: he's- he is, who claims he's going to help the third world through yeah. stellar. It's, it's, it's another one of their coins. It's so
1: scummy. Uh, please dude. Yeah. And, and this guy has enough money to develop, to donate to schools and in their cities and, you know, to feed kids in Africa. And by the way, I want to, I want to be clear. I, I don't want to ever say somebody has to donate X amount of dollars based on their wealth. Uh, I am a capitalist. I believe that. But when you're donating money only to these type of sites, and you have this kind of money; it is ridiculous. Well, there's a okay.
2: difference between crony capitalism and fair capitalism. You know, right. just like uh, fair trade and free trade. You know, yeah. so when these yeah. people just perpetually just making money and scamming other people and stuff like that, that's not true. You know, free enterprise.
1: Yes, yes, one one hundred percent. So, so that is my uh, interpretation of Bitcoin um, from its inception uh, up until now. I think the Mount Gox hack. Uh, People don't understand how pivotal that was for so many reasons. And the most important aspect of Mount Gox was not the 20 billion, which, by the way, is enough to run off the grid paramilitary operations and essentially take over an entire nation if you had the right people. But it's the purpose, the main, main purpose of the Mount Gox attack. And this is why it was such a Trojan horse, too, because it didn't want to be detected. And the investigation is still ongoing to this day in Tokyo, by the way. And so the reason why the Mt. Gox hack hack, hack happened was because it was designed to stunt the crypto market and keep it off the grid from normal investors so that the whales in the government circles could make their big buys for a number of years to continue. That that's my my prediction or my um, my uh, theory. Uh guys, you there. Yeah, sorry about that. All yeah, just doing my Bitcoin spiel, so <laughs> Okay, okay. People.
0: All right, before we get any further into uh, kind of murky history here of crypto, let's get a few of the concepts out of the way. So the basics. All right, so let's start off with the blockchain system and the whole concept of mining, which occurs on these chains. Uh, Clay, John, do one of you guys want to take the lead and explain that to the kids?
2: I'll go ahead and let Clay, uh, I guess we could talk about the difference between proof of work and proof of stake. But uh, go ahead, Clay, you start, and then I'll, I'll add to it.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. So you just want me to talk about proof of work mining? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and then we, so we can
2: discuss you know the next evolution of that, which is proof of stake. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you take proof of stake if you don't mind. Um, but yeah, so proof of work is how Bitcoin operates. Um, basically, for a Bitcoin transaction to happen, it has to be mined. So I'm just going to start from square one. Let's say I buy $500 worth of Bitcoin. Um, and I mean, true Bitcoin, I'm not talking about, uh, l- 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 let me phrase it a different way. When you buy off Coinbase, you're getting custodial Bitcoin, you're just buying their Bitcoin. Um, you know, those transactions, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, those transactions don't need to be mined like normal ones, right?
2: What, what were we talking about, Clay? I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I'm talking if you buy Bitcoin off of Coinbase.
2: Yes, those have already been mined and they're owned by the exchange. Yes, and then okay. you take ownership of them. Some exchanges you don't take ownership like Robinhood, for example, but yeah. you have to move your funds off of an exchange into a wallet for it to be more safer. Yeah. But yes, the, pretty much exchanges, I, well, how I always believed it to be, so I might be mistaken, but I always thought that exchanges bought just a large amount of currency
1: yeah no that that, I mean, that was, I was what I was about to get into yes they buy blocks and then they sell it and then you you are buying out of their blocks
2: um, I believe that to be true and I believe yeah. that they don't they're not like you the, like there's no the power has already been used to mine it for Bitcoin for example
1: yes. yes 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 so so that's why I wanted to start from square one and talk about what true Bitcoin mining is so Coinbase, let's say they're buying $10 million of Bitcoin for their users to purchase. They'll make a $10 million buy. Before that purchase can be completed, it has to go to a miner. And another word for miner is work authenticator. I don't know what the official word is, but that miner has to crack the code essentially that allows that transaction to go through using um, cryptographic hashing technology. And once they crack the code for lack of a better term, that transaction goes through and the miner gets a percentage, a very small percentage uh, or payout from the mining operation. So, Think of mining as the layer of trustless transactions in Bitcoin, and that's what makes it decentralized. Because if Coinbase makes that $10 million buy, it can be mined by a group in America like Riot Blockchain, or it can be mined by a group in Canada like Marathon Patent Group. Or it can be mined out of a giant coal plant that powers uh, a bunch of Bitcoin mining machines in China. And you don't know where it's being mined from. You just know that they're mining it and and they're verifying the transaction.
2: Yeah. Supposedly, Coinbase is paying a fee specifically to cryptocurrency miners. So, yeah, they don't do any of the mining themselves. Just to let you know. I had to look it up to make sure. But Okay. okay.
1: I was, yeah, I was just using them as an example.
2: I just wanted to make sure because I was, I was like, wait, but yeah, I I didn't think they did any of the mining at all. I I, I knew better than that, but I just wanted to make sure we were right. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Bad example. But yeah, I just mean that from a transactional point. That's what happens when a true Bitcoin transaction takes place that is on the blockchain that is fully verified um, and uh, mined by the miners. So I hope that explanation works.
0: That was great, man. Uh, John, did you have anything else to add on that point?
2: Not, not for proof of work or mining. Uh, the next, um, and there's many different types. But the next type, we'll talk about the the, the two biggest being used so far, which is proof of work and proof of stake. Um, so proof of stake kind of uh, it re- uses a lot, a lot, lot less power, lot, lot quicker. Um, so proof of stake is is you have uh, certain validators, and sometimes it could be people using. Um, uh, staking into what they call master nodes. So it's kind of like you have the ledger like you do for, for Bitcoin and you have the miners serving the cryptography uh, problems for different blocks to successfully do a transaction versus be successful in mine. But proof of stake is like you have these set validators for some coins, it could be master nodes, for example, where people, let's say they've bought a you know, certain amount of X of coin, let's say you know, 50 a thousand dollar, um, of a coin, we'll call it X coin. And they hold a masternode note at stake and they're getting a certain amount of coins giving to them, uh, for proof of every transaction to kind of like make it more of a cons- like a consensus. Like it's way more, uh, it's more efficient. Then proof of work and having, you know, like all these centralized um, GPUs mining to solve com- complex uh, um, kind of like cryptography puzzles to validate the ledger. So the first proof of stake coin was pure coin back in 2012. The biggest current proof of stake coin is Cardano, which I am a fan of. Cardano, which was co- was founded by Ethereum co-founder Charles uh, Hoskinson, and it's uh, overseen by the Cardano Foundation, which is in Switzerland. Which goes to Switzerland being the neutral country, it's very powerful. Um, but yeah, um, I I think um, uh, proof of stake coins uh, are m- more efficient. The transaction speeds of them are 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 are, are, are way more faster uh, than than proof of work. Uh, ha, ha, I think it's like forty eight minutes for the average Bitcoin transaction. Clay somewhere around there. It might be even higher than that.
1: Yeah, something around that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Where I think the average Cardano transaction, I think is let me look. I think it's five minutes. Yeah. And then like you have Ripple, which is like a couple of seconds, like eight seconds. The couples two, but like eight, to f- maybe four seconds for Ripple somewhere around there. Um, to eight, somewhere around there, so yeah, proof of stake requires a lot less power because you have people who you know they have you know validators, um, and they're able to, um, kind of like a uh, pin the blockchain, like so they could you can see the transactions that are going on, and they're kind of like, um, the only Sometimes some of the issues with uh uh of um proof of work, if I remember correctly, is proof of work it's it's easier for them to to attack um kind of like the the computation power that's needed. Like you could you could do an attack, I forgot what the exact terminology for it is, but you can uh, slow down the validated network on a, a proof of work coin. Um it happens sometimes where it's a little bit more difficult for proof of stake. Cause it's more spread out between different validators, different astronauts, but I believe you can still do a, a proof of stake, uh, attack, but, um, it's kind of different. I think one of the main one of proof of stake, if ever was like a double spending. Um, but yeah, proof of stake coins are more energy efficient by far and are quicker, uh, than, uh, proof of, uh, work coins.
1: Um, One thing I want to ask, and I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the beauty of staking is that the way it's designed is that the more people like it's staking is accessible to everybody in some way, if you're on the right exchange and have the right amount of coins like I can stake. Uh, Cardano and other coins on Crypto.com by just holding it. So
2: that's correct. Yes, so um,
1: on holding, not mining, which is definitely the future, and it's it's more accessible because you're a
2: validator, so they have to reward you for being a validator. Um, yes. So that's usually how they end up doing it. And certain exchanges, you know, pay a greater percent uh, uh, for the validation. Are for you holding or certain wallets pay more. Uh, it's annual percentage yield and annual percentage rate. Um, and some coins like VeChain, they pay you in their own, you know, quote unquote gas, uh, which they don't pay you VeChain, they pay you VThor or Theta pays you T fuel for staking. And some coins require you to stake for a certain amount of time. And some coins you can unstake at any time and pay a penalty back to the coin itself. Uh, and, and you can sell your coins or do whatever you want with them. So in my opinion, proof of stake, um, hopefully one day we'll, re- we'll, we'll replace proof, proof of work. I mean, Bitcoin really, in my opinion, and you might differ, Clay, other than it being the most recognized cryptocurrency in the world, even if Lightning Protocol comes out as a second layer, it makes it more faster and more efficient. It still doesn't have as much use case as a coin like Ethereum with the smart contracts, uh, no. or Cardano.
1: No, d- definitely not. I mean, Bitcoin. Uh, I don't want to say it will become a dinosaur. It will always be the gold standard of store of wealth, right? Um, and, and by the way, I want to just clarify something. Everyone thinks that Bitcoin needs adoption in the in the form of spending to to reach new heights it does not uh bitcoin was never meant to be spent it is a store of value and the the, you know the only way that bitcoin will be spent is when people have a shitload of it and they're spending satoshis yes probably 10 years down the road so um yes i agree with you bitcoin is a bit of a dinosaur satoshi
2: is a fraction of a bitcoin
1: Yes, a very, very, very small one. Um, But yes, to to your point, yes, I agree with you. Um, The coding in Cardano is absolutely superior to both Ethereum and Bitcoin to levels that are just incredible. And IOTA, once it gets out there, uh, its coding will blow Cardano away um, if the claims are true that it becomes more efficient with use and it uses the efficiency to increase the scalability of it, which, you know, is debatable. But yes, uh, long story short, you are absolutely right. Um, Ethereum has way more use. So does Cardano. Bitcoin will merely be a store of wealth. That is it.
2: I agree with you. So I guess to simply, you know, just shortly sum up the two. Proof-of-work is uh, mining capability depends on computational power, so it depends on how many pretty much GPUs uh, a, a data center or a person has to be able to run the um, calculations. Uh, miners receive block rewards to solve a cryptographic puzzle, um, and ha- it's 51%. So hackers need a, a computer uh, or like a group of yeah, a p- computer power or, or, or c- computational power more powerful than 51% of the network to, to add a malicious block uh, co- you know, causing issues to the blockchain of itself. Well, proof of stake is, like I mentioned earlier, where validating capacity depends on the stake in the network. Uh, validators do not receive reward per block, which I mentioned. Instead, they get a, a, a collect transaction fees uh, per reward. Um, and uh, a hacker would need to own 51% of all the cryptocurrency on a network to a 51% attack for proof of stake. But That's very rare to be able for someone to have that amount of you know, uh, for someone for example to have fifty one percent of Cardano. Yeah, yeah, difficult for that to happen. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's other uh, uh, um, other cryptos as well, uh, like uh, DAGs. uh, uh, um, I think it stands for uh, uh, something a a, a cyclic graph. Yep. Uh, um, which that that's even more complicated. I can't even uh, directed a, a, a cyclic graph. Uh, so you have a uh, DAG blockchains, uh, yeah. which are you know even more f- very very quite very efficient. Uh, because you know blockchain has to go to node to node to node to node, where DAGs can skip. Um, but yeah, I mean there's more, but that we're getting off into the weeds getting complicated there, but.
1: Um, yeah, to, to your point, um, it, it's it's really, really interesting to see um, the evolution of crypto and how fast it moves and the new technology like DAG's um, proof of stake. Um, if IOTA's claims are true, uh, when they, you know, when their main net new mainnet goes live and they become efficient with each new transaction, that is going to be utterly insane. Um and the transaction speed and, and everything decreases the more you use it. That, I mean, that's utterly insane. So it's it's really interesting to see these new developments. And one thing I want to say, yes, Bitcoin was rigged. Bitcoin was created by the government, at least I think it is. And I think that Agreed. all of us at that point. But what they couldn't control is it's like DARPA can't control the internet, right? Uh, although they're doing a damn good job of it right now through social media, I will say. Um, they can't control cryptocurrency. They can control Bitcoin. They can control Ripple. They can control uh, Stellar Lumens and Reserve Rights and other coins like that. But Cardano is, I mean, Cardano is revolutionary. So is IOTA. Um, so is uh, um, uh, Harmony. Um, so is, I'm try- sorry, forget me. I, 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 I don't want to list too many coins because I want to forget the good ones. Chainlink. Um, there are so many innovative coins, V chain out there right now that are, are just creating new innovations at a scale never before seen. So it's, it's like one of those things where, sure, you can control the initial framework of something like a Bitcoin and, and uh, get it started, but you, you can't control the universe. And that's really it, This is a
2: minor difference between me and Clay and only slightly minor. I believe majority of those coins are also controlled as well, and that uh, chain link I know for sure because it was shielded on four chan okay. since was- two thousand and seventeen. I mean shielded on four chain. I was telling everybody to buy chain link because of that. <laughs> um, uh, Poor Sergey, it is what it is. Um, Sergey, but uh, you know I. I in um, VeChain, as much as I, I'm invested in Chain, I like VeChain. I it's, I mean, it's backed by the Chinese government. I'm just brutal here. All right. um, but I do believe that there are some cryptos that are you know, made by the average person that try to get things done. But those big ones, slight disagreement with you, I think they're all controlled. Could be wrong, but that's just how I see it.
1: Well, I so. mean, they, they, they could be um, because they need the money to get started up, right? Um, I... I do think that I do think that I don't think they're as controlled as social media, I'll say that. Um, but I could be wrong. Could be wrong.
2: That's 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 fair. I just know the chain link I have inklings that it is because of the amount it was shield on 4chan rivals XRP.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. The Link Marines, man, they're they're an interesting breed. <laughs>
0: All right, let's get into the uh, mining component here for a second, because that's uh, been in the news a lot lately, uh, especially in regards to the whole controversy over the amount of energy it supposedly uses. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Uh, Clay, do you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, look, there's no question that Bitcoin mining uses uh, a lot of power. But, But you cannot be an efficient miner and make money at it, unless you have a green component uh, to it, right? Like it, you can, you know, it's not like you can just set up near a coal plant and mine Bitcoin and pay the coal plant and come out profitable. Um, you know, I know China does do that, but that's because they're not paying the workers anything. And, you know, they have, it's, it's on such a scale that if we were to see it, I think it would blow our minds and it's able to be somewhat profitable. But yeah, so there's that. And also, you know, Bitcoin mining being bad for the environment is, you know, when you're seeing who the people are that are, uh, that are pushing this narrative... They're globalists, they're, you know, global warming cult members. And I don't want to get an anti-global warming tirade here or anything like that. But uh, the thing about global warming, whether it's real or not, is the fact that it, it has an agenda behind it. And the agenda is clear. It's control. It's control of your power supply, control of your power grid, pushing smart cities, etc. And that is what is behind the narrative of Bitcoin, is... They want to control who mines, how, how many people can mine. Uh, they use that narrative to stunt the growth of Bitcoin this past year, bring the price down. Um, Elon Musk completely contradicted himself um, by saying that he thought Bitcoin mining was actually good for the environment. And then a month later, he... Curiously, right after he was on Saturday Night Live, and even more curiously, right after Bill Gates, Bill Gates's divorce happened, which if you want to get into my theory on that we can but it's not related to this. um, He started shilling, uh, pushing the uh, global warming Bitcoin narrative. And Uh, (laughs) You know, if you want to talk about what's bad for the environment, let's talk about lithium mining, uh, the current state of lithium mining, by the way.
2: How dare uh, you, Clay? How dare you? Now it's a completely 100 percent good than Tesla batteries. You're saving the world, man. Come on.
1: (laughs) And and again, I'm not saying that I'm against lithium mining, but I don't like the way it's done now because it's not right. And uh, there's a very good argument that a lot of lithium mining is blood lithium uh, in Africa. And I mean, let's
2: be let's be real here. All mostly all forms of energy come at a cost of human capital. All right, I mean, let's be real. Through one way or another, environmental I mean, or human capital.
0: Some all all energy forms have some sort of cost. Well, I mean, especially when you get into mining, and I mean, this is you know something that's not really talked about a lot. But I mean, pretty much throughout history, if you've ever looked at this, mining has almost always been done by slaves or people. Uh, ca- kept in near, you know, slave-like conditions, such as the company towns that prevailed in the uh, United States uh, during the late 19th century. And that's because it's really the only way mining's ever been profitable. You know, uh, it's extremely costly. And then on top of that, you have, uh, you know, usually it was very labor intensive. So, I mean, typically to get any kind of money out of it at all, I mean, you usually had to uh, have people in very desperate situations to work. it. So, uh, look
2: at the coal miners here, even in the United States. Yeah, that's you know,
0: the, you know that's what I'm gonna getting at. I mean, yeah, there's almost always a lot of consequences that come with mining. I mean, it's it's uh, it's been a very bloody uh, business uh, for a very long time. Let's just leave it at that. All right. So let's see here. All right. So let's get into some of the different types of cryptocurrencies here. Uh, You know, this is uh, something as well that uh, a lot of people hear about. Obviously, most people are familiar with Bitcoin to some extent, Ethereum. But uh, what about like stable coins and meme coins and some of these more exotic ones? Uh, John, do you want to go through some of the more notable different types of cryptos to start us off?
2: Oh, yeah. And then I want uh, Clay to just drop some, too, as well. This will be fun. OK, so stable coins are pretty much cryptocurrencies that are supposed to be pegged to something else. They're backed by something else, kind of like uh, your money being uh, backed by the FDIC and a bank. OK, so you have commodity backed coins. Uh, I think it's like DGX coin. Uh, is backed by gold, supposedly. And I know that there was one called AJIX with Ajax Pay that they were pushing at the Red Shell Expo when I went a few years ago. Uh, that was kind of like a CMP backed coin based off of, backed off of gold. So you have your gold backed stable coins. You got your fiat backed stable coins, which is uh, like USDT Tether or USD coin. Uh, they're supposed to be pegged one to one to the United States dollar. Uh, this is why you know we go look. You know, uh, Tether's as close to a dollar as it can be, and they're supposed to be buying. Uh, I believe I think it's, it's pegged, pegged to Bitcoin, um, uh, or is a peg to Fiat? What am I, what am I talking about? Uh, so they, um, there's a big controversy with Tether right now, in that you know they're
1: being
2: they're they're being kind of looked at. Is you know for every amount of money that's stored at USDT Tether, it's supposed to be backed uh, by fiat. So they really do they have this amount of money that they claim that they have that's really you know backed. that they keep purchasing? Um, so it's I don't know. then you also have supposedly cryptocurrency backed uh, stable coins like Dao for example, which is uh, pegged to Maker, which is a governance token used to control the supply for uh, Dai. Um, and so, um, yeah, so you have these stable coins that people put their money into during rocky periods of the market because they're always set to be a dollar. Um, so, you know, if you, if you, uh, for a fee, for example, let's say that you have a uh, $10,000 worth of V chain, right. And the market's going down. So you buy, you know, uh, Hopefully that amount are close to it in tether, and then V chain goes down uh, uh, ten to twenty percent or even higher in a week or two, and then you take that money and you buy back more V chain that you previously had beforehand, the, minus the fees of buying tether and selling tether, uh, and you know the the, the fees of acquiring V chain again. Uh, so you might come up a pretty good profit. You'll have more V chain previously that you had earlier uh, by a good amount. Uh, so that's how these stable coins work. Um, and they're also pretty much a way to store value. Um, I believe that USD coin is safer than Tether, in my opinion, um, but none of them are perfect. Uh, they're unlike, I guess you could even say... That the FDIC, you know, they claim they, you know, back up to I think it's like two hundred fifty thousand dollars of your money in a bank. That's how much it is, right? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. They claim. I'm off. Who knows if there's really some sort of major, major, major financial collapse if you're going to get your money a or if it's worth anything. Um, So that would be stable coins. Was I correct? Pretty much everything I said, Clay.
1: Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean. Um, the one thing I would say about stable coins is, is that there's really little difference between them and fiat currency in that they claim to have the cash on hand, but what does that mean? Does that mean they have like, does that mean, uh, um, Tether has, you know, uh, uh, 700 billion. I don't know what Tether's. you know, I don't
2: know on. what it's up to now, but yeah. Do they have that amount in there? You know, can they really prove it?
1: On them no. or does it mean they literally just have that, have to have that on their balance sheets. And that becomes a question of, is that a true representation of the dollar? And I do think that stable coins are going to be regulated big time because they're the biggest competitors to CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, um, and you know they're not going to go away because I think Tether. A lot of people really like Tether because it makes really instant transactions. Do
2: you think that Tether's going to fold?
1: Uh, no, no, I don't. Um, I think Tether will stay, but I think um, you know the lawsuit that it recently had with the SEC was interesting. Yes, I thought it could have gone away, but. Um, they, you know, they, need they still it.
2: weren't able to fully prove they have the money.
1: No, they, they weren't, but I think they need tether out there for the black market. They need, cause black market people are not going to want to use CBDC. So, they're use so you're telling me
2: tethers fractional reserve baking of crypto.
1: Is that what you're talking I, you? I think it is. I mean, I it's, it's I you know, it's tied to fiat. So, <laughs> all right. Uh
2: Um okay, I just want to make sure that I got got everything. Um, I'm sorry if I misspoke. Um Mm. I said that tether was back to Bitcoin. I have no idea what I (laughs) was I'm tired. Uh so you have your meme coins. Now, the first one of the first meme coin that I know of, which which was Dogecoin. Um, and that was, and there probably were I guess first major meme coin, uh, but there was probably meme coins created before Dogecoin. Um, but it was created by uh Marcus and Palmer. Uh, and Dogecoin was a fork of Lucky Coin, which was a fork of Litecoin, which is a fork of Bitcoin. Um, so pretty much it was just for them just to make a silly, mean coin back in December 2013, right? They didn't really think it was going to be like, yeah, what it is now. And I do believe that there is some weird musk teal paypal mafia like pushing of dogecoin and maybe they might have been involved in it with marcus palmer or maybe marcus palmer's the front of dogecoin that's up for interpretation uh but your meme coins really aren't worth anything you got trump coin um we have the, you know, the spinoffs. So, how many Doge coins, you know, Shiba Una, um, Papa Una, Baby Una, Baby oh. Shiba. I mean, there's a million of them. All right. And I believe that they're mainly just pump and dump schemes oh, for sure. Wells to pump a bunch of money in and then, you know, take the money out and the rugs pulled and, whoever made the coin is rich and the whales that were involved are rich and it's to transfer wealth pretty much for most of these meme coins. I mean, they don't call them shit coins for nothing. All right. Um, So those are meme coins. If you know what you're doing and you're watching out and you're not the last one holding the bag, uh, you can make a lot of money. I made some money off of Shiva, Um, but you just got to be careful because a lot of them are pump and dump schemes and rug pulls. Um, and so rug pull is when, you know, pretty much it's going up. And then whoever created the coin, you know, just sells off majority of the coins that they have. Because most projects that are worth something, their coins are put into a, a, a wallet where it's burned, where the wallet is inaccessible. And there's many different techniques you can find out if the wallet is truly inaccessible or not, or or coins are being taken out of the wallet or transferred or sold or bought out of that wallet. You know, there's many different ways you can tell. Um, But those are meme coins. Now, one of my favorite coins to talk about uh, would be uh, NFT coins or non-fungible token coins. Uh, So I'm going to discuss a project that I uh, think might go somewhere. You know, they really have to work on their coin because the coin itself uh, doesn't really have an intrinsic value right now, but the platform does itself. And that's VV, which is a Comey. Uh, um, I'm kind of disappointed at Comey coin in and of, of itself because they haven't fully made its use case tied into the VV app yet. Uh, but, you know, Comi, you can go download the VV app. You can go with money, with gems. You can buy uh, specific non-fungible tokens, which are pretty much, in, in, in VV's case, are these um, 3D rendered models and some you can actually use VR and you can use, um, uh, what is it when you uh, have your phone uh, project a um, something you can see, like a visual field? What is that you called? Like
0: augmented Play? reality?
2: Augmented reality, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they can do that. Like I have the DeLorean and i can because i'm a fan of back to the future It's one of my favorite movies and you can um augmented reality a delorean on your uh phone where you can open up the doors you can make it drive it's pretty cool it's pretty cool cool thing i i I show my son it um he likes ghostbusters so i've collected some of the ghostbusters um and they and they have uh licenses for marvel and licenses for dc2 as well they have Oh, both cool. um, and you can sell the nfts that you buy on their market and make money but there's not really a way to okay you can't make money yet you can there they have the thing is the main problem with a and vivi is that they haven't made a way that you can take your money out because that's one of the biggest things of crypto is is how do you what's your off ramp how are you going to turn because it's all just you know my, one of my good friends titus tells me it's all you know f- funny money. It's all digital money on a screen until you find a way that you can offload it into your bank account. All right. And right now you can own very rare NFTs on the VV app, but you can't sell them for cash. And you can't even sell them for a Comey to sell on an exchange to make money. So Comey itself, the coin itself right now is useless until they fix that. It might be worth something one day. It might be worth investing in. Buying the F- NFTs might be worth it. They're cool. At least they're cool to have. They're cool for you to show. But as far as making money, I don't know yet. There's been a lot of things that have been making me angry about Akomi. But non-fungible tokens, you have different ones. You have uh, uh, Chills. Um, what are the other NFT platforms offhand?
1: Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh...
2: There's so many of them.
1: I, know. I don't want to draw a blank on them right now. I have one in my let me let me check my uh
2: I'm having to look them up because I can't remember some of the biggest ones. Duh, I should have known them offhand. I just I just deal with the comey, so that's why I know it offhand. Um... um and also other coins are offering NFT platforms too as well. Um you'll see uh you'll see uh certain uh coins offer NFTs. Um for example, there's a there's an NFT uh on uh Kin, which is called uh, Kin Animals. Um but yes nfts were crazed the next biggest thing on crypto the next biggest craze if i have to suggest one is going to be cryptocurrency games yes definitely that uh say uh what what's this the sand game um uh crypto they use a sand sandbox that's going to be like the Minecraft of crypto, possibly, or the Roblox of crypto. Sand is going to be big, in my opinion, uh, if they pull off what they're really envisioning to, to pull off. Um, so Sandbox is an example of an NFT. Um, this also except, it's an example of a crypto game. Um, what was the biggest one that just came out that just went parabolic? Uh, Axie Affinity Axie Affinities. It, it, it went from like five to seven dollars a coin to like in a few weeks, it was like it went up to like 60 a coin, I think.
1: Somewhere uh, around there. Have you ever been to Decentraland? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but um, yeah,
2: Decentraland's another one.
1: Check that out. It, it seems really rad. I mean, it, it went in a pretty parabolic uh, run before the, the recent crash. But um, I just like the idea of it. I, I think Decentraland will be huge because it was the first on the map. It's the
2: yeah, yeah. it Yeah, Decentraland. I, I think there's an, a Decentraland-Atari partnership, if I remember correctly.
1: I think. Oh, cool.
2: Um, there's a partnership with Atari in Sandbox, too, I believe. I'll have to look. Um, but yeah, I mean, NFTs, you know, we have people selling you know, in, in F, like original artwork, NFTs, there's probably a lot of money laundering going on with that. It's like there is in the real art world. Oh. Um, there's, you know, people selling their rights to music. People, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting because how it works is, is everything that you sell that's a non-fungible token has a blockchain-backed specific number showing that you own it and you can transfer it. Um, it's probably going to be the future of collectibles pretty cool uh yeah. people should look and into it.
1: you like um certain items have rfid tags to uh to the blockchain as well like physical items like that you know people that don't want to go digital to have an rfid tag through like b chain or something you can tag it um you know uh assuming they have like what um what's his name uh julian assange called uh what was it evil intelligent dust you know where you just put some dust over it and it, it puts an RFID tag on a physical object like a statue or something. Um, I think that will be also uh, something in the future, good or bad. I mean, I, I don't want evil intelligent dust to be out there, but um, I think it will have a place in the physical world as well.
2: But I, so there, I mean, there's many different types. You have, you know, coins that are being used, that are being used in a business uh, uh section I guess be the last type of coins I'll talk about which are FID tracking coins that Clay mentioned earlier. So you have V Chain, you have um origin trail, which has large connections to the World Economic Forum. Um you had ship chain, which also had connections to the World Economic Forum, but it got it got pressured by um it 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 it, it failed. It got pressured by the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission. Um, uh, you have another one, Hedera Hashgraph. Um, Hedera Hashgraph and V are tracking uh, some of the um, vaccinations in the European Union. They're being used for COVID nineteen, which I believe is nefarious. Um, yes. But and and V Chain is working with Walmart for RFID tracking in their warehouses in China. Um, but yes, that would be one way that you could use Bitcoin. Is the corporation RFID uh, associated coins? Um, one of the old ones back in the 2017 uh, market was a Walton chain. it has gone now, for the most part. Um, but yeah, those are you know. I mean, there's many different subgroups of coins, and you know, different reasons for coins and stuff like that and everything. One of the ones that I believed in that failed was Poet Coin. You could publish something in a blockchain. And it'd be verified but i actually believed in it but it wasn't really a, it wasn't a world order coin in it that failed um but uh i mean you have like theta you know that's like uh um uh kind of like the youtube of block blockchain right Glay? you would say
1: yeah yeah theta theta has a lot of potential yeah. um and i think those type of coins um you know will have a, a lot of uh adoption um especially, you know, not only from, you know, people like us who, you know, might put out YouTube content from time to time or podcasts, but also, I think even, you know, uh, as you guys know, I work in the entertainment industry, and um, I know a lot of, you know, high level producers, and a lot of them have really good content, some of which um, has even been shot, and has never been sold to a network. So, I think there's a tremendous potential for stuff like that um to to kind of challenge the orthodoxy of the the um media hegemony that we but
0: didn't right uh, didn't kevin smith just uh sell his most recent movie in bitcoin or something like that oh, sorry uh didn't kevin smith uh you know the guy who did clerks and mall rats and all that kind of stuff didn't he just sell his most recent movie i think in bitcoin
2: I don't know about that. I mean, he's Crooks 3 is about to come out. Um, so, yeah, uh, a I'll movie, Kilroy was here as an NFT. Yeah, he launched an NFT crypto studio. I did not know that. Um, oh, wow. cool. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I'm like Kevin Smith, even though his past few movies have been not great since he started smoking marijuana, but uh, uh, Mallrats will have a place in my heart. Uh, I mean, the past decade. But um, but yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Uh, do you guys mind if I talk about um, meme coins for a second, especially no. Doge? Um, so you know, uh, you're absolutely right on meme coins being pump and dumps. I mean, the biggest pump and dump of the year to me, well, two coins: Shiba Inu out of China and Safe Moon. Okay. Nobody knew what the hell Safe Moon was, and all it was. But is they're like, going to
2: save Africa, Clay. With Safe Moon Africa. <laughs>
1: oh my god! And and that's like a really nefarious stuff is when some of these coins, like Charles Hoskinson, by the way, is legitimately going to Africa and doing legitimate things there, and that's freaking awesome, and I uh, commend him for it. But um when you have like Safe Moon, like and their digital army saying stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. And also, you know, on these coins, you know, it's interesting, like a lot of them are clear pump and dumps. I think the founders are in on it. I think they're being financed by Wall Street. But my, my question is, is why? Is it just to, to rake money off the top or is there another reason? And I would argue, there is another reason like Mount, the Mt. Mount Gox hack, which is to distract money from Bitcoin while the, the big guys are trying to buy in. And I think it's, I mean, if you look at SafeMoon and Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, they really started to come into prominence right as Bitcoin started to crash. And and they were, or at least they were being pumped until the crash of Bitcoin. And, and it, there was so much retail money siphoned out of Bitcoin and Ethereum and Cardano and Polkadot. So do you and,
2: believe that's the flow of money from, and it happens every cycle from Bitcoin to Ethereum to altcoins, which is known as this altcoin season and then back to, and then the dump and then back again?
1: I, well, that's an interesting question. I I think that, I think that the, you know, there are legitimate altcoins. So I don't want to include Cardano. I mean, let me ask you this. Would you consider Cardano or Polkadot an altcoin or not?
2: I mean, if you had to ask me, I don't, I don't even trade in Bitcoin. I despise Bitcoin, but.
1: Oh, okay.
2: But no, I don't, I mean, look, I mean, let's be real here. There are certain coins that I believe that are going to be here or, or that, are, I mean, look, is, is Ripple really going to lose to the SEC? I mean, let's be real here. Uh, I seriously doubt it. Um, even though there was some very much shady, very, very much. Um, but, you know, I, yes, there are certain coins that I believe are here to stay. Are certain coins that I believe are just pushed. for? Like, I mean, what about, what about BitConnect?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that was a complete scam.
2: So but look how big it got though and how much money flew into it. And then right, people right. sold, some people sold off right before the rug got
1: pulled. Right. Right. So yeah. how did they know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And who were those wallets? Y- you know? So. Yeah. I'm just saying, I, I, I agree with you. Um, but I usually that's a cycle that usually that's a cycle of, of the crypto market. Well, Bitcoin yes. to Ethereum to all coins, dump, Bitcoin to Ethereum to all coins, dump.
1: Sure, sure. I guess the difference this time is is massive to me.
2: Yeah, because this time it was funneled into a lot of coins that really had no use other than memetic warfare, if that.
1: True, true. But also, I would say, you know, what's different this time is that you have Elon Musk and Mark Cuban pushing Dogecoin, um, which I, I found staggering. I mean, Mark Cuban, I did not because it makes sense. I actually do think Dogecoin will be one of the biggest spendable currencies. So it makes sense for him to accept it as a Daleks Mavericks owner, but for Elon Musk to not only push it and accept it for um, transactions. But then again,
2: it's my belief that's because he's got it. He's had a involvement in it since the
1: beginning. That, that very well could be the case. That very well could be the case. Um, but I guess all I'm trying to say is that we're, we're saying the same thing. I'm just taking it a step further in that. Um, these coins are also used to, uh, you know, to either crash the Bitcoin market, but also Bitcoin Ethereum's, you know, uh, main coin market. But also in this case, and I think we can both agree, and we'll, I hope we'll get into this. I think we're going to be, in a, we're on a super cycle here. Yes. The, the recent efforts of Elon Musk and also Vitalik Buterin buying a bunch of Shiba Inu, like what the hell was that? You know, they're doing this. Uh, Vitalik, maybe not on his own. He I don't think he's that, that that savvy. He was probably convinced by somebody else to do it. But Elon Musk and Mark Cuban um, probably were in on it to, you know, it's a part of the Wall Street rigging operation to keep Bitcoin and other coins down until the ETFs clear. A
2: hundred percent right. Yep.
1: So, Let's hold off
0: here before we get into that here so we can give the kids a little bit more background um but okay so okay, let's get into like briefly i know you guys have touched upon this a little bit but uh, let's just get into briefly here a little bit more on how revolutionary crypto really is i mean it's being sold essentially as having the ability to remake the current financial systems we know it uh, specifically the ethereum blockchain was uh, designed to promote decentralized finance or DeFi. so how plausible is all of this really john
2: well, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, R- Ripple's going to replace SWIFT, <laughs> if not Ripple uh, reserve rights. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, look, maybe I believe this is going to be used for dystopian means. Um, they'll allow a few maybe crypto maybe cryptocurrencies that won't ever top break the top 100 that you know for us peons but majority of them i mean this is something's got to replace fiat so what do you have that replaces fiat you have ripple yep and if ripple don't do it stellar will do it and if stellar don't do it reserve rights will do it And, you know, maybe you'll have different ones for different countries, right? I mean, we know reserve rights is being used right now primarily in Latin America. because Scouts for National Policy loves using Latin America so much. So that's what this is for. I mean, I agree with Clay. This was never for our benefit. Not to say that there can't be cryptocurrencies for our benefit, but... The major ones. This was for them to put the final boot down on our necks. And look, I get it. Decentralized finance it's not supposed to be centralized. Central banks. I mean, let's be real here. If there was any truly any decentralized coin or coin that can't be tracked or it wouldn't, they wouldn't let it exist, at least not for a long enough time or really to get any full traction. Sorry out there for people who believe in Monero XMR. Okay. Uh, yeah. Clay, you might disagree with me. Maybe no, I'm a little bit too
1: black pilled. I agree. With you. I, but, I, agree with you. I, I would, I, I will create a counterpoint. But I don't want to cut you off. So continue.
2: But, 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 yeah, I mean, do I believe that there are some cryptocurrencies out there that will benefit mankind? Yes. Ultimately, do I believe this is the beast system? As much as the dollar bill was, yes. Do I you know, do I believe that money can be made out of it? Well, just like the dollar bill, and look how much blood and cocaine's been on the dollar bill. Just as much as it's going to be on cryptocurrency when it's all done by a set of day. Just like as much as on gold. Just like as much as on silver. So yeah, it's ultimately it's not good, but there will be some cryptos by honest people that have been made. Hopefully that will benefit some people, but overall it is the next evol- evolution of the B system. In my opinion.
1: Uh to- Totally agree with you, man. I, I think that, uh, most currencies whether they're rigged or not uh still have the specter of regulation looming over them um and you know i i want to talk about one person who i think is really legitimate in crypto and i really look up to and that's charles hoskinson i i think he is legitimate Um, i think he wants to do good i think he's actually going to africa because he cares about it um uh, but, you know, even Charles Hoskinson, as brilliant as he is, as great as his code is uh, for Cardano, he, he's ultimately at the mercy of regulation. Uh, and, you know, uh, Janet Yellen, uh, we've seen how she what she thinks of crypto. And, you know, the good thing, I guess, and I'm not and Elizabeth
2: to say- Warren, too.
1: Yes. And Elizabeth Warren. And the, the good thing that, that I can say right now, I'm not saying this from a Republican standpoint, by any means. I'm saying this from a crypto standpoint, but um, Janet Yellen can say whatever she wants. Joe Biden does not have a mandate right now, which is great for crypto, by the way, at least in my opinion. Um, and but but she I mean, if you look up uh, a puppet for the World Economic Forum in American government, I mean, I could not think of anyone more fitting of that title than her. And agree. she is clearly mouthpieceing anti-crypto regulation. So um, what I would say is that like, while I believe in what Charles Hoskinson is doing, and I think he's an incredible individual, I think he's completely noble. Um, maybe he's fooled me. I don't know. And by the way, I like Vitalik. I do think he's noble, but he's also um, kind of a Marxist uh, guy. And he's kind of, I, I don't think he's, really in control of ethereum he's very brilliant but he's not he's not capable of being a ceo so i'm not trying to trash him but i think he's one of the good guys i really do too um but I, i use charles hoskinson because i think he is really intelligent but i also think he has a business mindset he's capable of being a ceo being a leader in a way that vitalik buterin is not and uh he is ultimately subject to the specter of regulation, like all these cryptos are. And whether they're in on it or not, they're subject to that specter. And the, yeah, to your point, great point. There is no way in hell that the world banking system is going to allow an anonymous cryptocurrency that cannot be regulated and cannot be tracked to exist. And let me say this too. I use the word tracked for a reason. Cryptocurrency can be tracked, and I will tell you how. Uh, Our government, and I believe China as well, has quantum computers, uh, at least early, early stage quantum computers. Uh, For those of you that know about quantum computing, uh, it, it has almost a million times the speed of a current computer. Um, it can crack two hundred and sixty-four bit encryption, um, and with that kind of computing power, you really can crack cryptocurrency transactions. And you know whether whether it's out in the open or not, uh, they will find any such cryptocurrencies that come up that try to be anonymous and they will infiltrate it whether they say it or not um so there is really no such thing as an anonymous transaction anonymous cryptocurrency uh the the only thing i would say is that you know for drug deals and stuff like that it's like is it a threat to us now do we need to stop it or not and that's in, and uh, that's how I think they operate as far as uh, the NSA and, and organizations like that.
2: And one last thing is on Vitalik is I don't trust him because, one, he's Peter Till. I mean, he won the Till Fellowship Award. and He's buddy buddies with Till. Um, and Vitalik also would have partnered with Jed McCaleb if it wasn't for the fact that Jed McCaleb, quote, unquote, could not get Vitalik a visa. Um Hodgeskin Hodgeson, uh, Charles Hodgson Nothing I know outside I just, Vitalik, I just don't trust. Um but but yeah, I I agree with what you said, Clay, uh, outside of that.
1: All um, right. Yeah. Oh oh sorry, go ahead. Okay. Well, did did you
0: have anything else to add, uh Clay?
1: Um no, no, no. Uh no, I'm good. I'm good.
0: Okay. Well, okay, let's get into present day then. So obviously crypto has been in the headlines a lot lately. Now at the beginning of 2021, it witnessed an incredible run up in value. Uh, Bitcoin was at 60k at one point and most of the other cryptos experienced similar gains. Now, Clay, you think a lot of this was driven by ETFs clearing in Canada and Brazil and thus driving considerable amounts of boomer money into crypto. Now, can you explain uh, all of this for the kids at home, please?
1: Well, well, yeah, let, let me be clear. Um, the initial run-up was not due to the ETFs. Um, the initial run-up was due to the halving, which happened uh, last summer, Um, I don't remember the exact date, but I think it was in uh, late July. Let me, let me, I'll I'll look it up. But um, the halving happened last summer and that's what, that's what sparked the newest bull run as it did, you know, that's the beauty of Bitcoin is that these halvings kind of drive the push into cryptocurrency and it creates that cycle of what John was talking about, which is, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Cardano, other big, uh, lesser big currencies, and then into altcoins and then the crash. Um, You know, both John and I do believe that this time we're in in a super cycle. So we're just seeing a big dip, Um, by the way. uh,
2: Just so so the institutions and the wells can accumulate that precious, precious coin. Shake those weak hands out of the market.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So so they're buying all throughout these dips. They're selling at highs, and they're accumulating. And then this time, hopefully, you know, maybe they sold or not. But I mean, I didn't sell a dime of my cryptocurrency. I probably should have, but I'm accumulating myself. But the initial run was the having, uh, and uh, you know that that sparked that. But when Ethereum rose to when it almost doubled here let me go to my notes here uh in a matter of i think a few weeks um i do think that was due to there was three ethereum etfs that had cleared in canada so um and by the way kudo as much as i don't like justin trudeau and i think he's a complete tool of uh global interest. Uh, Kudos to Canada for doing that. That was uh, amazing.
0: And real quick, uh, tell the kids uh, what
1: an ETF
0: is as well. So people wonder what exactly it is.
1: An ETF is an exchange traded fund, uh, otherwise known as an index fund. And what it is, is that it offers exposure to a cryptocurrency or a commodity or an energy sector. So an example is... There's a an index fund that most people invest in called VOO, and that's the ticker on the uh, the uh, um, the Nasdaq and the NYS. And if you go to Robinhood, okay, so VOO represents the Vanguard index fund of the entire stock market. So when you invest in the VOO index fund, you're investing in the stock market as a whole, and you're gaining exposure to it while it grows, right? So instead of if you add a hundred thousand dollars, so instead of investing that hundred thousand into every single stock in the market, you're investing in a uh, via a clearinghouse like Robinhood or uh, uh, TD Ameritrade or somebody like that. You are investing. In the entire stock market itself through their financial instrument, right? Um, you know, uh, there are oil ETFs, there are uh, natural gas ETFs, commodities ETFs. So in this case, there would be a Bitcoin ETF where uh, for uh, Anthony, there's three right now in America. There's Anthony Scaramucci's, I know there's four. So there's Anthony Scaramucci's. There is a man uh, named uh, Van Eck, uh, what's his first name here? Um, I'll, I'll get to um, his first name. And then uh, there's um, Mike Novogratz is also pushing a Bitcoin ETF. And I can't uh, remember who else is pushing the other one. So basically it's a way for um, you know, people that are not very tech savvy and uh, you know who don't want to who don't want to have a mobile app on their phone to go to Coinbase or to go to Bitfinex or Crypto.com buy Bitcoin themselves. They're going to call their broker or their financial manager and they're gonna say, "Hey, can I get into this Bitcoin ETF?" It's very similar to the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. The only difference is that Grayscale, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is a trust, um, so they're they're not an, an official ETF. Um, so you're trading through their trust, and, and forgive me for not knowing the, the actual difference, but um, uh, there are specific uh, legal differences with the SEC that allows them to operate in that way as opposed to an ETF. Um, but yeah, so um, Canada, and, and thanks for allowing me to clarify that for everybody, um, so Uh, On April 16th of this year, uh, three Canadian ETFs cleared in one day. And then Ethereum on April 16th was uh, around $2,163. It nearly doubles in about a month to $4,179 by May 12th. there's a lot of reasons. I mean, that month was very good for Ethereum. Uh, Bitcoin went on a decent run. But it's my theory that that run was caused by those ETFs clearing. So um, I think we're going to see a very similar run up. And I don't think we'll even see much of a, you know, much bearish traction once those ETFs clear in America. And I think that's, precisely why Wall Street's been rigging it down. Um, And if you'll allow me time later, I'll get into my theory on Elon Musk and his involvement with it. But I I do think that Wall Street's been rigging the market down so that that people like Carl Icahn and George Soros and others can buy in at uh, ultimate lows.
0: And I mean, a big the big thing about the ETFs, uh, as I know you explained to me, is that you're bringing like a lot of boomer money into the crypto yes. market, a lot of people who wouldn't normally invest in this type of thing, at least beforehand.
1: Yes, boomer money, pension funds, um, you know, institutional uh, type funds like that. So yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: Okay, so all right, you got into this a little bit. So with the uh, different ETFs here in the United States, you've got uh, coins, crypto, Bitcoin ETF filing and the other SkyBridge Capital's proposed uh, Bitcoin ETF. So the crypto fi- coin cri- filing will be ruled upon on July 27th, uh, which actually might have come and gone by the time this episode comes out. And assuming there are no more delays, uh, then the SkyBridge one is up on August 25th. Uh, But both of those dates have been pushed back before. So, Clay, do you think the holdup then is basically due to the fact that they're trying to get the money in? And uh, do you think that there are going to potentially be further delays uh, with the rulings on these?
1: Uh, That's a great question. Um, Yes, I do think the holdup was due to them trying to get the money in. I mean, it's really interesting. And, uh, John, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But how you're seeing the SEC work with the rigors on crypto. And let me offer a theory on that on ripple. Everyone's asking, Oh, why is there the ripple lawsuit out there right now? Well, oh, I would argue, I can't really take credit for this theory because I did see it on a YouTube video and I, it made a lot of sense. And I can't remember who the author is all uh, hopefully we can put that in the, uh, the notes or something, but um The theory was, is that Ripple, the whole Ripple lawsuit was rigging the price down so that it could continue to transact uh, with bankers from all over the world without being on major exchanges. Because once the Ripple lawsuit hit, it got got ripped even off Crypto.com, it got ripped off Binance, it got ripped off Coinbase. So... um, I, my point in bringing that up is to say that when, when I say the SEC is working with Wall Street to rig crypto down, you need to look at it through a very careful lens. They're not going to be brazen about it and rig it down to a level that it's like so obvious. They're going to do things like that to where they're, they're creating a false lawsuit against XRP So that they can keep it off the grid, so that bankers can buy in and transact off the grid for a while, until the next cycle this bull run hits. And you know, regarding Bitcoin, um, the the head of the SEC has punted it a few times. The SEC, the um, the ETF applications, and I think he's been punting it because he's getting calls saying, "Hey." You know, we need to do a few more, you know, a few more pump and dumps, shake out the retail holders, you know, shake out the leverage guys and and keep accumulating, you know, when they're going to call us like Anthony Scaramucci and like Novogratz. And by the way, that's hypothetical. Of course, I'm not convicting anybody here. Um, and it could be someone other than them. I'm not saying they're involved with it. Um, you know, and then, you know, it could like, be oh. somebody
2: speaking on their behalf.
1: Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and look, I don't want to convict anybody. I, I do think on a general note that Mike Novogratz is a really big scumbag of a human. Um, and I think that's fair to say, but I'm not going to convict him of doing something he wasn't, uh, you know, charged for. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I think uh, the SEC is an arm for wall street and look there of course there there's all obviously people in there with who are very noble and sometimes they rise to very high positions and maybe bust a few people but i think we're seeing what the whole uh operation right now through crypto briston do you have any thoughts on that
2: uh no you've pretty much i couldn't say better myself i got nothing
1: (laughs) thanks man um so yeah that's my thoughts for close.
0: All right. Well, let's talk some Scaramucci here for a moment. The head of Skybridge, uh, which, you know, he just got into is at the forefront of the Bitcoin ETF efforts. For those of you unaware, Scaramucci was briefly Trump's communication director, I think, for all of 10 days or something like that <laughs> uh, before he was forced out. Um, any uh, thoughts on the Scaramucci guy turning up here, uh, John?
2: OK, so. What I want to say, some people might be like, well, what is he talking about? But um, they got a proven track record of my research. So, okay, so with Scaramucci, I believe, and this was you know, also put forth by a good friend of mine, Jason from Argos. I have had him on my show, um, my YouTube channel we've read. Um, it's my belief with Scaramucci that, okay, so Mike Cernovich had two sources in the White House. One was Stephen K. Bannon, and the other was Scaramucci. And I know if you, you you know, Scaramucci went off on Bannon and blah, 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 blah. Look, a lot of things that happen in parapolitics is theater. Some of it's real. Some of it isn't. Some of it's kayfabe. uh, and and, 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 And some of it's a shoot. Some of it's a work. using wrestling terms. So, look... I believe that Scaramucci is working with Bannon. I believe that Bannon is also a big player in the crypto field. He, you know, started the uh MMO uh gold uh gaming currency uh uh you know Chinese uh uh go- gold farming MMO company with Brock Pierce. Okay. Uh, I think it was called, don't want to say digital gaming entertainment. Of course, Brock Pierce, you know, found EOS. Brock Pierce's own connections to Mark Collins, Rector. I've, I've done shows about, I've talked about it, but uh, I think I talked about it the last time when we did our crypto show too. Um, but um, internet gaming entertainment, that's what it was. So it's my belief, and Bannon's been pro-Bitcoin. Very much in pro-crypto. It's my belief that Scaramucci is working on behalf of Bannon. And I think that he was the kind of like he he went in there and then got fired in the White House. It's, It's just a weird thing, but it doesn't surprise me that Scaramucci's put in this position. And I think it's on the behest of Bannon. And I will say that there is some truth of what people like Dave Troy say on Twitter, that some of the leftists are concerned about crypto because it's a giant money laundering scheme by people like Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, among others. And they're right. I mean, they don't hold accountable on the left side of the world order that me and Clay would also rag on too, you know, and say that they're all a part of it. But he's not wrong. So it's my belief that the mooch is working on behalf of Bannon. Uh,
0: Clay, did you have anything to add to that?
1: Um, no, that that wouldn't surprise me. And, and to add to that, I would say this. Um, I, I never, ever bought Bannon's exit from the Trump White House, even when, like John, I was a massive Trump supporter. Um, I, I will disagree with John in that. I do support certain people from the Trump cabinet who I believe are sincere about some of the doctrines that I believe with there. But I, you know, I'm not. May, um,
2: may I ask whom? I'm just curious.
1: Stephen Miller, I, I think, if anybody. Um, but but w- again, uh, we, you know, I'm. I, my point is, is that I smelled a rat. In Bannon's exit, it never made sense. I mean, he was the one who got Trump elected. And, uh, it, you know, the fact that he was so supportive of him afterwards, it, it never made sense to me. Um, and also, like Scaramucci came in there and then he gave that interview. With um, you read that, right, In the interview that he gave where he like acted like a 55 year old bro. I'm
2: not Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to suck my own blank.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It and seemed
2: a little bit too much like, you know, you understand, like
1: wasn't believable. He, I he think was,
2: I think it was what we call kayfabe.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so so theater, that,
2: theater, theater for that, the masses
1: that makes total sense um that it was a well orchestrated exit um and that he was you know it makes sense why bannon left he was on the ground uh, doing grassroots media stuff right and then maybe scaramucci's role was to get back into wall street and do some reconnaissance work there and kind of report back to trump so I, I can't disagree with that at all, and it, I, I, I think it does make sense, and it also makes sense in light of, and I'm not using this to defend Trump, but I do think a lot of his tweets were used as means to distract the media and send them on, a, on, on tailspins, um, so it all adds up, yeah.
2: I'm not going to say you're wrong there.
0: No, uh, Trump definitely did enjoy trolling the uh, media, that's for sure. Um, but while we're on this, uh, the topic of this whole milieu around uh Steve Bannon, let's get into Brock Pierce a little bit here. He's been a pretty big uh player in the crypto field. Uh, John, what do you got for us on Brock?
2: Yeah, I think I think we discussed Brock last time, didn't we? But um, no, uh, we just
0: talked Brock uh privately. I don't think we really got into him full blown the show, but uh, oh,
2: okay, yeah, um, it, it, oh, yeah, it was uh, one thing it was, it was um, one of the circles back to Scaramucci, I think he was also to get Sean Spicer out, which I despise both of them, but I digress. Uh, so, you know, I, so Brock Pierce, um, he was originally uh, a part of, I mean, first he was in Hollywood. He was, uh, um, uh, he, he uh, played a, a young Gordon Bombay. In uh, the Mighty Ducks, it was later in uh, the Mighty Ducks 2. And then he was in First Kid with Simbad. I forgot his name, his character in Sinbad. Um, and then, so he was in Hollywood. He retired from acting. And then he joined with Digital Entertainment Network with the pedophile Mark Collins Rector and uh, Chad Shackley. They started Chad's World, which was like one of the first shows that was on DIN. Uh, that was about uh, – and DIN was like uh, – like it was going to be um, on the internet. It was like shows on the internet. And Chad's World was a, a show about gay teenagers – um, and then um, there was a whole, you know, whole issue with the initial price offering with, with DIN, and uh, uh, there were sexual allegations that came out against Mark Collins Rector, who was good friends with um, Brian Singer, um, and uh, those ex- executives you know, resigned and then folded, uh, and then uh, Mark Collins Rector uh, would, brought against charges but would later flee to Europe. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, it's my belief that Brock Pierce was sadly used and abused in Hollywood, um, but that doesn't excuse the eyebrows that are raised towards Brock Pierce in later days of wondering if, you know, he continued on, allegedly continued um you know what was done with him done to him should i say uh by people like uh, mark collins rector because there were some allegations uh uh, uh about den employees and uh, pierce and mark collins rector and chet shackley but i digress uh so pierce would later um Formed the, form the Internet Gaming uh, Entertainment. I mentioned earlier, MMO currency selling uh, it's sell gold farming in, in um, China uh, through World of Warcraft, a massively RPG by Blizzard. Uh, and one of the main funders and to uh, IGE was Stephen K. Bannon. Um, and uh, Stephen K. Bannon also, uh he was the one who seeked venture capital for IGE uh, because Bannon used to work for Goldman Sachs. Um, and uh, he uh, supposedly uh, received some of the money for the start of IGE on the behest of Bannon, because Bannon also met with Epstein multiple times, but I digress there too, uh, was from Mark Collins Rector, the pedophile. Uh, So um, yeah, so later, Brock Pierce would go to, uh, uh, he would found uh, Blockchain Capital, um, which was a venture capital firm, um uh um and then uh would later uh um, do the initial coin offering uh for what would later become uh EOS. And then of course the allegations when an open secret came out, which I believe, in my opinion, that open secret is a quasi-limited hangout. Uh uh Goff- Gabe Hoffman denies that the Franklin scandal is even a real thing. Um I, you know, so you had the block one foundation who Pierce was a co-founder of. He resigns because the allegations come back uh, against him with Mark Collins Rector and Brian Singer and Chad Shackley and the pedophile allegations uh, that came out. Um, so, yes, I mean, I, I think out of that whole group, and I could be mistaken, the only one who was convicted who did fl- fled was Mark Collins Rector um Brock Pierce was not convicted and I think Chad Shackley was not convicted um but yes that is Brock Pierce in a nutshell did I miss anything Clay that you're aware of
1: uh no no um I uh, the only thing you may have missed is and I don't know if I heard this correctly but was he involved in like, is he involved in the UFO community? I thought I heard a podcast where. That wouldn't he, surprise
2: me if that did that. that I, yeah, that's the case.
1: Involved, but but what's really weird to me is that um, I don't think you missed this. You, you talked about it, but maybe you didn't mention it specifically is that people know his past. And this is what just flips me out about Hollywood. Right. Is that, uh, it's only about who you know. What your worth is. If you rape somebody, if you, um, you know, had sex with a twelve-year-old girl, um, if you engage in gun running, uh, oh, that that's okay as long as you're powerful and rich. You know, you, you know the right people, right? So there's this thing where people just talk about Pierce as an entrepreneur and and a bitcoin investor but they never talk about the mark collins rector stuff or the brian singer relationship or or what he did and it's just you know that i i hear that all the time of like oh it's hey brock pierce he's a bitcoin investor and i'm not trying to say that you know i i agree with your point i do that his history certainly probably played into it, and um, I, I agree with that.
2: But it's not an excuse, though, you know, to continue the cycle of abuse. It's
1: not um, a, and, but he and he should be called out for that. And I think there's a lot of people who accept that and look past that and say he's a Bitcoin entrepreneur and he's a media professional. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean he still worked with. I mean for his 2020 presidential campaign, which was bought, backed by Bannon, by the way. Uh, who was the I can't I can't believe I'm blog, drawing a name blank on her name. Who was the female Cambridge Analytica whistleblower, Stephen?
0: Brittany Kaiser.
2: Brittany Kaiser, yes, who worked with who did a speech with McChrystal a Spooks Conference. <laughs> um, she worked on Brock Pierce's 2020 presidential campaign. Oh, uh, our gal, right? Um, but yeah, that 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 that's that's uh, Brock Pierce for you. Uh, um, definitely should be investigated. Um, probably won't happen, um, it is what it is. Uh, but yes. So,
1: all
0: right. There's, there's, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, interesting moves in crypto of late. Now, John and I have already covered, uh, Elon Musk in a prior podcast. Certainly he's been making a lot of headlines in the crypto field, but, um, how about the move, uh, to adopt crypto? specifically Bitcoin, is legal tender. I mean, it hasn't really gotten a lot of news, uh, you know, a lot of coverage presently. But, I mean, it's pretty significant. John, can you give us a rundown of this?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's my belief that uh, Bitcoin was ruled by the SEC as a currency, right, Clay?
1: Um, I, I don't know that for sure. Um, I would have to look that up.
2: Okay, I think so. Um, so, technically, it is a currency um i don't think it's going to be used for uh i don't think it's going to be the world order currency i think um the sec like you said clay is is waiting to rule on ripple uh for accumulation and will end up ruling on ripple as being a currency um and not a security so when that happens you know, Ripple is going to be used by the banks. It's going to probably be. I mean, you have yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this possibility it could fold. It could be ruled. It, I mean, they could move on to something else. They could move on to reserve rights. I uh, as, as as possible. Uh, that, that, that all that shilling on 4chan and and QAnon. Look, there's some people that, as crazy as this sounds, there's some people who have even theorized that Ripple may be the Nasara Gasara currency. Steve, and I crap you not.
0: Really yes. fascinating. Does that uh, surprise you? No, no, not at all, not in the slightest, John.
2: Um so but then again i mean it, it, it could replace our federal reserve dollar right i mean
0: yeah i mean in, in a way
2: it could, be, it could turn out to be that in a way you know, maybe so it it's so proud about
0: its own like church of the latter day saints um nfts or something like that uh, i mean that would be perfect
2: so i mean i mean it's possible it could be the world reserve currency who knows you know um reserve rights could be that reserve rights could just be for the third i mean Look, I don't think Bitcoin is going to be the currency they use. Are they going to use some sort of crypto that is, exists now or exists in the future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fractional reserve banking's run its course. Uh, it's going to collapse, and they got to move to something else. Uh, cool. So this is what they move to. My guess: Ripple's going to win. Reserve rights could win. Stellar could win something's going to win. Maybe something that doesn't even exist now is going to win. I don't know. Maybe there'll be a U.S. um, reserve uh, coin. Who knows? Um, But it ain't going to be Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, Ethereum probably will flip Bitcoin eventually. Um, But yes, one day there will be a cryptocurrency uh, reserve coin, maybe one for the entire world maybe one for different sections of the world or unions of the world, maybe one for every single country in the world. Who knows?
0: Clay, do you have uh, anything to add?
1: Um, I'm sorry, specifically regarding- Uh, You know,
0: in El Salvador adopting Bitcoin or anything along those uh, lines?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think that Bitcoin will be adopted by a lot of countries. I, I think that what we'll see is- the main thing we'll see the new pattern once we enter the super uh, the, the super cycle, which we may be entering right now. Bitcoin hit forty thousand dollars while we were uh, on this podcast tonight. Uh, it's mm-hmm. now now at thirty eight. But um, I think what we'll see is a lot of uh, developing nations' central banks putting one to four percent of their uh, reserves into cryptocurrencies. Um, and I think accepting Ripple. Uh, I do think Ripple and Stellar will be two of the biggest ones. Um, and I, if you don't mind, I'd like to offer my theory on CBDCs here, central bank digital currencies. Well, hold um, on a second. We'll, we'll get to those here. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. So, so yes, um, I think that Ripple and Stellar will be the two. I think that there, there may be a leader. Ripple will be the leader, but you'll see currencies like Stellar being used a lot. Um, uh, you know, And I, I will make a prediction that the reason Walmart is getting into fintech is because they're trying to create a Western Union system using, uh, that was announced, I think, about six months ago. I think they're going to be using Ripple.
2: Who, and- who used MoneyGram? Who used MoneyGram?
1: Yeah, I know, right? Ripple. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh, so, so it's going to replace, uh, you know, using sending just cash. Instead, you'll go and put cash into an ATM and buy Ripple and send it over. And uh, you know, it'll be more secure. It'll be tied to mobile phones and and whatnot. And
2: and also, who had partnership with fintech too?
1: Uh, PayPal. Well, Oh, PayPal. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. PayPal. And, and so, I, do- I mean, you have
2: reserve rights, Peter Till, Coinbase. It's pretty much what's happening down there in Venezuela yep, is yep. you're having hedge against because, you know, Venezuela has strong you know hyperinflation. People are using reserve rights to exit and enter and, and peg and stable. I'm just saying it's 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 one of these one of these coins are going to win.
1: Yes, yeah, I, I would agree with you, but I, I think that whoever wins, there will be other options too. Um, and
2: whoever wins, we lose. Unless you invested in it, you win. But in general, we lose as a populace. So.
1: Well, well, I think, again, the, and we can get into the, the great cash flush theory I have, but once money flows out of cash and into crypto, I think it's going to be a tide that rises all boats for a long time. And yes, still, uh, You know, uh, Ripple may be the quintessential uh, go-to crypto for bank transfers across the world, Um, but uh, Stellar will be, you know, a few steps behind, uh, as will be maybe like a cello gold will be like five steps behind.
2: Um, Mopping up the third world countries that don't adopt Ripple?
1: Probably, probably, yeah,
0: yeah. All right, so another curious development of late is the rash of sudden deaths. John McAfee bought the farm on June 23rd. He certainly became one of the most vigorous proponents of crypto in recent years. Elsewhere, Marcia Popescu, one of the world's first Bitcoin billionaires drowned off the coast of Costa Rica several days ago, or several days afterwards excuse, um, from McAfee's death. So, any thoughts, guys? Uh, John, do you want to start off?
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, let's just say the same thing. I guess uh, it's just a LARP, uh, an operation. I don't know what to say about it. I mean, look, they're running a, they're running a, a McAfee countdown clock that the that the, the dirt's going to be dropped. All right, <laughs> that, that, that he had a, uh, um, a kill switch. All right, <laughs> on a website. <laughs> Trust the plane. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, <laughs> McAfee was a scumbag. Um, he's well known in the crypto world. He, uh, supposedly, people would pay him to boost their crypto uh, by giving them a shout out seem like that's true uh he had his own crypto that he had tattooed on uh in case he died uh what was it called again uh whacked whacked um how how much is it life in in, in, imitating art and an art imitating life clay what am i supposed to say what am i supposed to say brother
1: I agree with you, and I, I think there's another possibility about McAfee that nobody's talking about, which is the fact that, and I'm not saying it was justified that he died, but he very well could have pissed off of the wrong prison guards at that Spanish prison, and they choked him out, and uh, the warden's like, there's no way in hell I'm having this blowback come to me, and we're just going to say he hung himself. You know what I mean? And I don't think people have taken that into account.
2: Yes, anything is possible. All I could say to counteract that was how the giant Q was posted on his Instagram after he died. Maybe they were like, okay, if this guy dies, we're gonna run an operation, or maybe he is or isn't dead. I mean, who knows? We don't know. None of this I mean, it's speculation island at this point, as Jimmy Jean would say. I mean, this is ridiculous. All right, I mean, there's some sort of operation that we're going on. The queue on the Instagram, mm-hmm. the the countdown clock to to the so-called uh, uh, a dead man switch drop. Uh, Q and I trust a plan. Um, seems like another operation. Mm-hmm. Or well, uh, or it- or. He just died and it was, it was an oopsie and they ran with it. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I got nothing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the thing about the whole McAfee thing is um, the only person who I thought legitimately had um, really damning stuff on the government was Julian Assange. And, you know, uh, nothing ever happened from that. And so John McAfee was just a rabble rouser and he was insane. I mean, he used a lot of drugs and he, yeah, uh, I mean, he
2: said he had a predilection for underage girls. Lord knows what he's yeah. done. I mean, yeah. does anybody really think that John McAfee was our guy? He's just a degenerate part of the world order.
1: He really is. And I think I, well, I, I don't think he was a part of the world order because I don't think they would have ever accepted him. He, he was just a punk and, a, a uh, okay. Yeah,
2: that's was, true. He's just, he could have been a loose cannon, you know,
1: a loose cannon with really some, some serious moral issues. And, you know, look, I don't want to say that I know the truth of what, what supposedly happened in Belize. And, you know, I'm not going to comment on that other than to say that, um, you know, there were accusations and in line with his character and his past, it doesn't, it doesn't depart from his previous actions. So, um, yeah, he's not one of us. Um, and I don't think he ever had any evidence. I think it was always a troll. I think it was always him being a punk, you know, slipping the middle finger to the Greenwich, Connecticut crowd, the New York city crowd that would never accept him. Um, and that's all it was that, yeah, I'm convinced of that.
0: Now, oh, Clay, you also thought that there were some other you know, kind of interesting moves happening to the crypto community. Um, what, like some of the data servers were um, uh, bur- uh, burned down recently or something to that effect?
1: Um, well, no, before I get into that, if, if you don't mind, there is a very suspicious crypto death that I'd like to get oh, into. Oh, go for it. Go for it. Um, it's this, this guy named uh, Shuvro Biswas. Um, who is 31 years old. And um, it's on Dr. Joseph Farrell's website, the Giza Death Star. Um, He goes into it. Um, I'm actually looking at the article right now. Um, And apparently, um, you know, he's a super brilliant uh, guy. And he's working in uh, security for cryptocurrencies. And his brother became very concerned um, because he started to... um, do some really weird things, like the, uh, the management of his building said that he just months into his lease, he engaged in numerous incidents of escalating offensive nuisance type conduct that threatens the lives, health, health and safety of the building staff and the building property. And then um, he also allegedly brandished a knife, smeared blood in the building elevator illegally installed surveillance cameras and alarm system, scattered bullets throughout the building and filed most, multiple false reports of intruders with the police, one of which saw him greet responding officers by brandishing a sword. So um, there's no history of mental illness with this guy. His brother becomes very concerned. Um, and, okay, so his brother says, uh, we tried to convince him to the best of our abilities to seek professional help, but he always denied that he needed psychiatric help. And then he was going to a neurologist. That's the key point here. But he wouldn't say for what. So I, it is my contention that he went to see a neurologist because a neurologist can provide concrete brain electrochemical evidence of insanity right a psychiatrist or psychologist is merely interpreting your insanity based on conversation so that that point here is very key or he's trying
2: to use mris to see if he has any type of like brain tumor for example which would change one's middle cognition
1: or a brain tumor and i guess it could have been um but it goes on to say that Biswas said his sibling, this is the brother of the guy that was deceased, Biswas said his sibling was self-employed and most recently working on a cryptocurrency security program. And online profiles show that the younger Biswas also dabbled in artificial intelligence. So, um, look, we don't know what happened to this guy. could have been a brain tumor. Um I you know, obviously autopsies don't have MRIs, so they can't do brain scans. We don't know if it was a brain tumor or not. But this has all the hallmarks to me of I mean this guy never had a history of mental illness. Okay. He's 31 years old. This starts to happen in this apartment in New York City has a big job. I think the guy was a PhD and he starts to degenerate like this. So my question is, is was he a victim of some kind of microwave technology or some kind of, um, uh, you know, low frequency weapon to where, you know, he was uh, targeted with something that some kind of waves that made his brain insane. And the other question is, which we don't know, is what was he working on in uh, cryptocurrency? So I don't want to offer that as being a definitive, you know, uh, weird death in cryptocurrency, but it, it begs the question.
0: Certainly. And um, do you want to get into the data servers now and some of the uh, uh, things that have burned down?
1: Oh, like, um, the, the French, uh, servers. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that was the one. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I, I haven't, um, I haven't researched that all too much. Um, but I, I don't believe it was organic. I mean, the fact that you had servers where, um, you know, some of the, there are some major, major sites in France that had all their data wiped away. Um, I, I just don't buy that it was organic. And I, I just don't know the crypto nature of that because I haven't researched enough.
0: All right. Well, let's get into this whole concept of the super cycle that you've
1: been hinting at. So
0: take it away. Give us the big picture overview of that now.
1: So, yeah, the super cycle is basically the idea that. Bitcoin now has reached institutional accumulation. Um, It's reached institutional critical mass. So the last few Bitcoin cycles have been all retail money. I mean, not all, but a lot of retail money. A lot of people, you know, buying thousands of dollars or maybe a few tens of thousands of dollars. And, And even people buying millions of dollars but you know the difference between retail and institutional institutional investors are licensed you know major institutional investors like j p morgan uh um you know uh goldman sachs uh the soros fund carl icon uh you know fortress capital uh black blackstone uh you know th- th- those kind of names. So th- there was a little bit of that the last cycle. So this cycle is where the idea of the super cycle is that instead of Bitcoin going on an eighty percent drop like it did the last time, and I think the last the last cycle before that was like forty percent or something or maybe it was even more massive than that. I can't remember. But this time, it's going to continue to go up and up and up. And we're now seeing what I'm talking about, the cash flush where cash is moving out of banks, uh, out of, uh, out of traditional financial outlets like the stock market or especially bonds um, and mutual funds and into crypto. Uh, And, you know, if you look at the best way to describe it is that the super cycle is when crypto no longer becomes a niche from a, from just a social perspective, when crypto no longer becomes a niche investment tool that you have to talk to a few friends about. And if you try to explain it to your mom or dad, they have no idea what it is, your uncle. Um, whereas in the super cycle, your whole family is not only investing, but they're asking you, they're calling you all day, telling you, asking you, what, you know, do I invest in Cardano, do I invest in XRP, reserve rights? I mean, from a social perspective, that's what it is. But from a financial perspective, it's when the institutional money comes in and when crypto is no longer seen as a niche investment, but a viable uh, long term investment. And more importantly, a viable alternative to our currency system. And Brisson, please correct me if I, or, or add in for anything I may have missed. I got
2: nothing. I got nothing. You, you did, I, I could have, you're right. Um, one day, your father or grandfather will be asking you uh, millennials and Gen Zers um, and some Gen Xers. Uh, where you where should I um, purchase the bitcoin and it's coming sooner rather than later
1: yeah I mean uh, Briston I would argue I think we've seen it like I mean recluse you know you were asking me and Briston about it a little bit ago my brother asked me about it like you know three four months ago I never ever thought my brother would have gotten into it I had multiple friends who come from very strong uh, financial backgrounds asking me about it and getting into it so we're already seeing the seeds of it just from our own interactions am I did you see the same thing Brisson and
2: yeah uh that happened when it went back up to to around sixty thousand people started asking yeah, yeah. um then it went down and people were like huh, 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 you know yeah'll so um, yeah. <laughs> they'll, 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 they'll they'll know when it goes up to hundred or two hundred thousand yeah start, you know but yeah eventually you know it will be like stocks you know be like Tesla or apple or uh, yeah it's gonna it's gonna reach that and you know institutional adoption and then public adoption so
0: I mean, it seems like we're possibly on the cusp of the institutional adoption with the ETFs, as Clay has been alluding to earlier in here. Yes. All right. So, you know, we're honestly, we're on the verge of the most significant financial revolution the world has going through since probably the end of the Second World War. Cryptocurrencies are one of the factors driving this. The other are sig- central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. These are the next phase for fiat currencies. Clay, can you give the kids at home a rundown of the CBDCs?
1: Uh, Sure. Uh, CBDCs are uh, central bank digital currencies. Um, They are issued by the prevailing central bank, whether it's ECB, European Central Bank, or you know, to be honest with you, and I apologize about this, I'm not too familiar with who's actually issuing USD. It, it, is that the Federal Reserve, Brisson? I, I mean, I I I buy most of my stuff in Tether anyway, so
2: You talk about USDC?
1: Yeah, USDC, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No, USDC is it's 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 um it's Backed by they claim financial institutions. Uh Visa, for example, is is the reason why you can use your Coinbase card and USD USD USDC is because Visa has allowed USDC to settle transactions on their network.
1: Ah, Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, so it it says it's
2: it's founded by uh uh a consortium called Centra, founded by Circle. Includes members from Coinbase and Bitmain,
1: so yes. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so yeah, well, in, in the future there will be a Federal Reserve central currency, maybe F, FRC or something, or, or that, and, and that will make it. Ex- the idea behind CBDCs, what they say it is, is to provide stable digital currency um to to interact with digitally to make it more easier for boomers and I, I I don't mean to use that in a negative term but boomers and older people to you know put dollars on their phone use QR codes and go buy things when the cash supply starts to decrease which we're already seeing that in the chain shortage um, So that's what they say it is. They say it's just merely converting physical fiat dollars and savings deposits and checking deposits and whatnot into digital currency. What I believe CBDCs are is a means to allow for more people to buy cryptocurrency directly. Uh, CBDCs, their entire design was to, first of all, they're going to get rid of cash, even in America, I know it's hard to believe, in about 10 to 20 years, you know, maybe sooner if there's some kind of shock event, but CBDCs will be the only method of exchange And I, you know, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I want to be very clear about that. I I do support cash and I hope it goes as long as it can. But um, they want CBDCs because they want people to move their money into cryptocurrency. I know that's very contradictory to what you're hearing from Janet Yellen, to what you're hearing from others, but that is what's happening. And it's part of the great cash flush theory that I have that, the entire design of Bitcoin was to allow a mechanism for the Federal Reserve and the ECB and and all other banks to flush their money. It's a giant vacuum to where they flush their money into a new uh, digital ether where they can continue to engage in, uh, you know, Fractional reserve lending may not be the right term because that will be a lot more difficult in uh, cryptocurrency. But just f- maybe, maybe uh, overstated valuations, or at the very least, uh, you know, they can perpetuate derivative systems at the very least um, through this through uh, the new cryptocurrency world economy. Um, And they can, by the way, I want to be clear, they can still engage in fractional reserve lending, but it's going to be very difficult because the standards have already been set by DeFi. So it's merely a wealth transfer where they're going to find more value in the currency when they transfer from their their whatever the country's fiat uh, currency is into crypto. So really, it's a value transfer, and sure, they can engage in derivatives too, and and come up with some schemes of shorting and doing futures and stuff like that. And they will continue to do that, and there'll probably be mortgage-backed securities through crypto and and things like that. And then, you know, when we have space mining, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure there will be like space mining futures contracts and things like that. So. Uh, they will be able to do some of their tricks, but I don't think the fractional reserve lending trick will work as well in uh, in the crypto world economy. Um, I hope that answered the question.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> now to get into, you know, just essentially how, you know, this transfer is going to be managed, I think it's, you know, really going to be generated by um what would effectively be negative interest rates, uh, with the CBDCs, um, you know, that's a, a really important concept behind these that, uh, a lot of the commercial banks have been pushing for to be, you know, uh, institutionalized into the CBDCs. So could you, uh, explain that a little bit, Clay?
1: Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, negative interest rates, um, and forgive me for not knowing the exact answer here, but I think there's, um, I think Germany might have negative interest rates right now. Um, and there's a few other European countries that have them. And basically the way negative interest rates work is that, and I want to be clear, I, I, I don't exactly know how they work on the lending front, but I, I know at the very base level that if you have a bank account, you're literally losing money. Um, and so you're incentivized exponentially at least in not, not mathematically, but exponentially in the fact that uh, I need to get my money the hell out of here to move your money into venues or avenues where they're going to earn money uh, based on your savings, right? And crypto offers so many opportunities. Like at a base level and, you know, I... Outside of my critiques of uh, DAI as a stable coin, you can earn 2% rolling interest on it by putting your money in there. That's better than. Way,
2: 8%. way better, way better than bank.
1: Way better than banks. And my favorite, uh, one of my favorite cryptocurrencies, by the way, is Tezos. And Tezos, you earn above 4%. I don't know the exact number. I think it's like 4.3% or something but you earn 4.3% interest that accrues, I think every 45 days. So, I mean, at a base level, like even if you don't want to go into the Bitcoin uh, arena or or Ethereum or any of the other big cryptos, or you don't want to go to crypto.com and stake Cardano or anything like that, which by the way, the staking rewards are way better. Almost anything in crypto, even if you're investing in a crypto that's losing money now, is better than being in a bank and just having your money. Got a whole
2: dollar cost averaging.
1: Yep, yep. So, uh, so yeah, uh, you know, negative interest rates are designed uh, to drive money out of savings. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know the exact mechanics of how the Loan structure works on that. brisson do you have any uh, any understanding of that? Like in a country that has negative interest rates, how the loans work? I mean, I would think they're like two points above prime, right? So talk about like, Japan. Um, yeah, Japan or like I, I I feel like isn't Germany negative right now?
2: I, I offhand, I don't. I really don't know how it works with Japan. I know Japan's been negative for quite a while. Um, I don't know offhand. No. Not myself. Yeah,
1: but but I, I mean, I think we can assume that if it's negative, right, you're going to have banks lend at a base rate of 3%. I, I don't think any bank would lend at anything below 3% or at the very least 2%. So it'll just keep loans, in theory, at extremely low levels. And again, I, I want to research the ig- exact numbers here. but
2: So zero interest rates, supposedly means that you don't have to pay the bank anything, but the bank will not pay you anything, no matter how low it goes.
1: Right, right. And the bank the bank always has the right, though, like like in America, to lend at their own rates. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of how competitive the market is. And I mean, that's what interest rates really do, right, is they they set the benchmark for the lowest possible rate a bank can lend at. And it just depends on your credit score. And, you know, um, in in super low rates, banks are going to have their minimums and they'll use that to, you know, to be the benchmark for what they lend. So um, yeah, basically in brass tax, negative interest rates mean it, 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 that effort is designed to, get people to move their money out of savings at the very least. I mean, I think effectively
0: what you'll see happen, I mean, is this going to further encourage people to move their money out of fiat and, you know, into crypto market going forward, probably Um, in the next five to 10 years. I mean, as more and more CBDCs are rolled out. Uh, China of course, has already done that. So, um, you know, the process is, uh, it's currently unfolding right now, folks, and it's, um, it's a lot sooner than uh, a lot of people realize. Just one final thing is, I mean, what do you really see the future holding for the banking sector? I mean, it just, it seems like uh, it's going to be very different uh, in 10 to 15 years, uh, because I mean, on top of everything else, I believe, you know, you could theoretically do loans and that type of thing through some of these blockchains, right?
2: Well, they already are. You can you have Bitcoin-based loans. You used to have lending platforms like SALT, but SALT went under. I think they, they didn't SALT come under fire by the SEC too, Clay?
1: Um, I, I, I think they did. I, I think they did, but there's so many good options. There. But you have
2: Celsius right now, right? It's one of the biggest ones that you can... I mean, that's one way that you can avoid taxes is by taking out Bitcoin loans and effectively never paying them back if you so choose. And yeah. it'd just be loan money, so you wouldn't pay taxes on it. Allegedly, I'm not an accountant, but, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you can you can do big Bitcoin based loans right now, to certain plat- lending platforms.
1: Yeah, I mean, like for example, I, I used a company uh, or uh, a platform called Nexo, and I took out um, a lot of loans on Nexo, and you can you know take loans at fifty percent of the value of your crypto. Uh, the, the main one, a lot of people are using is Aave or Aave, or I don't know how people say it, but Aave, I guess. Um, and then you can go to compound is another one. Uh, um, uh, what's the other one, uh, bit something. I can't remember, but there DeFi is really, is really great in that, it's not fractional reserve lending. They're actually doing uh, the opposite. It's actually um, overcapitalized lending to where you have to provide the capital to lend to yourself. And then you're taking out loans at half the value. And then there are sites like Compound that do lend you crypto.
2: BlockFi um, is but- another one.
1: BlockFi, that was the one I was like...
2: BlockFi, yeah. Nexo, used to have Salt. Salt went real high and then it dumped. Um,
1: yeah. And, and, and the cool thing about DeFi is that, um, you know, you, you have it now with uh, Ave and others, is that, so when people buy tokens of a DeFi lender, like Nexo or uh, Ave. They're essentially staking loans from other people, so there, there's a double layer of capitalization. There's the layer of capitalization where you're putting in your own crypto and taking out half the value in loans, right? And then the people who buy the the, the coins of Nexo, which by the way, I not financial biased or anything, I would highly I mean, I, I'm very happy with buying a lot of Nexo tokens. I think Nexo is going to be a mainstay in America for DeFi. And uh, same with Aave as well. I haven't bought any Aave yet, but um, not financial advice. Do your own due diligence, please. Um, but I love that double layer of capitalization. So that, you know, and that is, to answer your question, Recluse. that's the future of banking is, is actually over capitalization to where, um, and, and I think the next step is actually a little bit different where let's say I want to take out a loan for 5000 to, I don't know, just, you know, if I have a good credit score, I want to take out a loan for 5000 just to cover expenses for whatever reason. Let's say to pay for a vacation or to pay for a move to a new job or something. I would go to a decentralized finance site. I would apply for a loan. And if I was approved the minute my loan was approved not only would the would it be staked by somebody else but the interest would be staked so that the loan w- was already backed and verified by somebody else to where i was paying into a loan that was already paid off and if you compare that to what we currently have, and I'll use mortgage-backed securities as an example. If I took a mortgage out for $350,000 for a home and I put up you know, 10% at $35,000 and I got the mortgage, the bank is selling the mortgage before it's been paid off to another uh, institutional investor and they're selling debt and that's, that's the difference with DeFi. And this is a really important point is that that's going to be the future of banking, where banking is going to be peer, peer-to-peer staked. It's going to be staked many ways. If you have a good credit score and you apply for that $5,000 loan I talked about, you're going to be staked by people buying the coin of that DeFi company. Um, and you know, maybe there's even other institutional stakers that come in. Um, there could be systems that I haven't even thought about yet that come into play on that level. And then if you if you uh, don't have that good of a credit score, then you know you, you know you can say, okay, you want a five thousand dollar loan, but you only have low six hundred credit score or high fives. Can you stake? yourself, like if you want 5,000, can you put up 1,000? And if you can put up a 1,000, then you can take the loan, and then you put an extra layer of protection on the loan. Um, I, I think that is the future of banking in DeFi. And I think you're gonna see the major banks getting into DeFi somehow, some way. Uh, And I think the way they'll justify that on their balance sheets is investing heavily into crypto and expanding their portfolio to allow them to have liquid capital to do that. And I use the term liquid capital uh, in quotes, of course.
0: That's a a great rundown there, Clay. Uh, John, did you have anything to add to that, sir? No, I have nothing. All right. Well... I think we've uh, covered about all of the bases uh, and many of the uh, major players. Uh, I mean, I suppose we could discuss whether or not Coinbase is actually a cult, but um, we didn't really prep for that. So um, I guess they're into that. Oh, what is it called here? Uh, da, 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 consciousness. What was the name of that? Conscious Leadership. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, sounds like some kind of new-agey self-help thing that uh, the whole company is indoctrinated in. I found that was rather really fascinating, but um, again, it is the Valley, so type of thing has been going on for a while. Well, anyway, on that note, I suppose we will uh, wrap up now. As always, thank you guys for listening, and good night, and good luck to